Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 29th of November 2020. What a year, eh? What a year. It's not over yet. Can't believe it. Eh? It's rushing in and yet it's stretching out at the same time because of all the, probably our cognitive dissonance as they call it. As we, as we get so confused with our mind-bombed news and with all the contradictory reports from specialists, the same specialists often too, which uh, give you really opposing viewpoints on all of their statements. And depending on how they feel that day, I guess, they'll hammer you into the ground if you read one of them and you interpret it, interpret it the wrong way. Because, you see, there's only one way to interpret it, and that's just believing everything they say. And, and saying that, I suppose, uh, you probably get a lot of applause from them and acclaim for just repeating what they've printed for you to, to read, basically, and, and to, to speak about. But don't say anything negative, even when you get reports and, from, their, from their own sources. <laughs> they blow your mind on some of, the, on some of their findings, because uh, it's not what they want to push across. You're living through a big agenda, Massive agenda, a very old one too. And I'll put up tonight uh, one good discussion by uh, James Dellingpole and uh, Patrick Wood of Technocracy. And he goes, uh, of course, Patrick Wood worked with Anthony Sutton at one point. They worked together on studying the Trilateral Commission and putting out uh, findings on them. But, of course, it didn't start, it didn't start there. Anthony Sutton was way uh, ahead of the game, too, even long before that, when he stumbled upon the big organizations with very old ties to, to Britain, as an example. And it, it tied it in with findings from other investigators that lived in the late 19th century, early 20th century, who'd already realized there was a power in the world which ran things, really ran things, you know, above voting and above politics, which makes sense, actually. Do you really think, when you read even the books put out by the aristocracy, who, who were also members of the House, the House of Lords in Britain and the, and the British Empire, they're all based in the same system, lots of books and, and committees that they, they belong to and organizations they all belong to, when they talked about the coming system, and which they already controlled in their own time, but the, the system was to come. They didn't ever think that they would give anything away to people who wanted democracy. Power never gives itself up. And uh, these people were not browbeaten or just weary through wars and so on. They were at the height of their power at the time. And so they had no intentions of ever giving up their power. And so they knew that they could do an awful lot if they got more of the public on their side through false claims, like we're here to serve you and let's use democracy. And all you have to do then is to stop, to stop basically the Soviet system taking over, the Bolsheviks, with the revolution. They decided to give you uh, spokesmen and, and labor unions in, in the West, and they'd supply you with the leaders who would talk with all the communistic propaganda terminology. And, um, and and certainly emulated to, to, to an extent too, but they had no intention of giving up their real uh, personal private power, not at all. And so they brought the, the you came into the twentieth century with two world wars, World War One, 
you already had the Boer War that leaves it and went straight into World War One pretty well, and as Britain was taken over a good part of Africa before that. And uh, and I hate to say Britain, it's not the British people, so don't blame the British people. They could they could use other countries too, and use their troops and finance them and train them just as the same way. It's so interesting when you really think about it, how you're given people to to like and hate. Or to or even feel ambivalent about too, because you see, we, I mean, use these. I hate this. I've, I've said this for years and years. They say, "Oh, the British did this," you know. But what does the British mean, eh? or the Scottish, you know? or the Welsh, or the Irish? What does it really mean? Uh, it's a handy tool for for propagandists and the media. When they want to blame people for something, or oh, the British did this, the British did that, it wouldn't matter what part of the plantation, the planet you lived on, if the masters wanted you to go and conquer somebody else uh, and made it a, a prideful thing to put on a uniform and go and fight, and give you really simple propaganda. You're going off to bring civilization to the world and so on. But in reality, too, they're telling you, the poorer folk, You'll, you'll, be, you'll get some pride in yourself if you wear that uniform. You get little plus pluses when you come out of the military, and you can get uh, a higher status in society than you, than you'd ever get on your own, basically. You see, and every country would do the same thing. That's that's the history of the world, and so those with the understanding of that always run countries. And uh, it's like Rothschild. Rothschild was awfully good at saying <laughs> what he thought at times. And he said, uh, give me power over the money of the, of the nation, and I care not who, who rules his, um, his government, basically. Because obviously the government had to come to, to him to borrow money. That's, that's what governments had already done long before he came along. When they, they created the central banking system, all governments went cap in hand every maybe four times a year to ask for more cash, etc., and to decide how much to to um, increase taxation, which pays for the money the government's borrowing. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And it's, it is quite interesting to me to, to see all that kind of thing happening and to see that most folk really don't understand it even yet today, how it really works. And forget, too, the massive long-term war with the Spartans that changed Sparta. It's like Quigley said and others have said, too, that wars do more than just win, create winners and losers. They... They, they alter both sides or all sides of a conflict. Your culture gets changed, and often very similarly so, in long, long-term drawn-out wars. And as I say, Britain came out, when any Britain, Britain went into war, World War II to fight National Socialism in Germany and came out as a Nationalist Socialist country for a while. And the irony seems to elude most people, you know. But that's really how it, and it's because it's planned that way. You, again, you've got these unseen characters with big organizations behind them, these, these quiet clubs, very powerful clubs indeed. They really run the show. And uh, the media are all uh, part of it because they, they're, employed. They're, they're employed by the folk who belong to these big clubs, you see. All the journalists are. But as I say, you, you would remember too that the World War I Eventually, they've got the slogan makers in on the act, including H.G. Wells, you know, uh, who who came up with the idea of calling them the Hun, you know, like a throwback, you see, 
to try and yeah, because you must you must always dehumanize your enemy. It's much easier to kill them when you don't see them as humans, and so you put them out as, uh, and, and you, with these derogatory ter- derogatory terms and so on. And um, and so you had the Hun, and then the, the, for the war in the air it was Hun and the Sun, but we are the Hun and the Sun coming out of the Sun is your crap, all that kind of stuff you see, and you and you can see oh, it's like massive books full of. The propaganda cartoons they used in the newspapers at the time, just incredible. And World War II was the same. But regardless, uh, he dehumanized the enemy and used propagandist like H.G. Wells to, to dehumanize them. And and again, too, Wells is awfully good for his masters. He, he served him awfully well. At least he got the credit for it, but I'm sure there was a team behind him. He also came out with the idea of the white feather, you know. Because in World War One, initially, you, you just didn't draft people up right back then. Uh, not initially, anyway, and they did want to get national conscription in, you see. It was a goal of theirs. It was kind of hard to do when you're pushing this up. This new idea of democracy it was new, you understand, this idea of democracy. Most of the men couldn't vote any more than the women in Britain at the time for World War One, And they said, well, we'll get more of you to vote afterwards. And, and that kind of thing. And better housing. And there was something back from all your taxes. Uh, we might give you something back, and that was the promise. But again, they came up with the idea, the war to end all wars. That was a good one for the youth, you know. All young folk would go for that. And that who wouldn't want to stop wars, eh? And the idea of a utopia, that you'd all have cash in your pockets for a change, because it wouldn't be getting spent on wars. It was a nice fallacy, and pleasant. And you were used, of course you were used, incredibly much so, by the military-industrial complex that sweeped in the harvest from all of its weaponry and guaranteed payment by the government who was borrowing it all from the bankers. So yeah, you, you run by a, a quiet systems, very quiet systems that had their big meetings, mind you. And uh, when, when real communication, radio and so on became prolific, then they became even quieter behind the scenes because at one time, they, you see, there's no problem communicating to each other. There's special magazines or books. And, and, and book, they had their own publishing companies, for, not just for magazines, for themselves. But, but, but their own private publishing companies would publish their, their world meetings, like the, like the Royal Institute for International Affairs, before it was even called that, you know. They had their own publishing companies. And strangely enough, too, it's a small world because they, got, they were way back even to the Rockefellers who often paid for their international meetings, even long before World War II. So these private clubs have always been around. And one of the first things they came up with, the ideas they came up with, was that human resources should not be given for the rest of the general public to, to just lay claim to, or members of the general public to claim. They should be held by the responsible people, and old Rockefeller thought he was he was the one to do it, you know. And then his son David was more more open about it too, because he was more of a figurehead for the speeches, world speeches, sustainability, and all that kind of stuff. But they all told the truth from their point of view when they said that competition is a sin, and that's where again this this um, video put up with uh, Downing Pole and uh, Woods goes into, it takes off really in about the 1930s when the term technocracy uh, took over. You see, it was only part of it, technocracy. You see, if you remember that 
the group existed, this, this it's often called Pan-American or Anglo-American establishment, they pre-existed the, the technocracy group being formed inside Canada and the States in the 1930s. And you, you realize what technocracy was. It was about the taking over of resources, not just uh, by responsible people, as they call it, the right, the right kind of people who would limit access to other people coming in to own different parts of it. They'd be very, very selective. In other words, when you've got a gang together, it's much better if your own gang owns it all, eh? and you don't let anybody else come along. And you limit the number in the gang, so you be wealthier and you're more powerful and so on. And that's sustainable development, you see. That's where it comes, comes from. Of course it is. And, um, and the old Anglo-American establishment was well understood at the time by many people when they were forming uh, a Federal Reserve System in the U.S. Who was behind it? Colonel Mandel House. Uh, wrote a book about his own memoirs, and he admitted in it. That, well, he said he wanted to take the credit for really being behind it because he was kind of managing President Wilson, which he had a kind of contempt for uh, for being so manageable, <laughs> so easily manageable. I guess they created the Federal Reserve. So you've got you're living through an, a, an, a script, basically a script with a, a, again a very big establishment, but secretive at the same time. Big in, in the sense that it's, it runs uh, the affairs of nations. And you find, uh, Carol Quigley, I've mentioned it so many times, he, he was a member of it, and he was a historian for the American branch, although he worked with the British branch as well. And uh, he, he was so enthused by it and his goals and aims uh, that he, th- he published a book, uh, Tragedy and Hope, really believing at the time, you said, that it was time the public got to know what it was about. Uh, because this is, these, these people have, uh, these members, which he was all for, uh, had been responsible for world wars, and uh, they're behind almost all the big changes in history uh, of their day, and, bef- and uh, back into the 19th century, at least, probably before. But he thought uh, the goals were, were, were good, and uh, he said the only complaints he had was that were the occasional misuse or, or, the, or the, the techniques they used to achieve some of the goals. That's the only, only, only place he ever differed with them. But however, he let so much out of the bag that um, the publishers confiscated the plates. So they had the plates for printing at the time, and they broke them and, and told them that, that they, that no, no more after the first uh, publication. or I don't think he had that many sold initially, but luckily enough got out there that uh, um, under, because they had basically they'd written all off that many other publishers grabbed the original one and republished them. You can get copies anywhere. And I've checked some of them and uh, with, with the original, and as far as I can see, they're the same. You know. So you can, get, you can get them really cheap if you want to go through it. But he, he let a lot out the bag of the fact that they'd been behind uh, the movements to take over South Africa and different places. He went into some of the history of uh, Cecil Rhodes in another book that he wrote. And Cecil Rhodes and Lord Rothschild, by the way, uh, that formed uh, the, the Rhodes Society and Rhodes Foundation and uh, took over a lot of the gold mines uh, in Africa. 
and diamond mines as well. Because again, getting back to, to what they do, monopoly men, it's monopoly money that they use. They, they, are, they are monopolizers. They take over resources. And the first thing you do for resources is to, you take over the wealth of a nation. What gives them the wealth? If, if, what raw resources, what is it? Take it over, snuff out the competition by every way you can, because it's war. They, they see it as war, you see. And, and it's quite easy to do that when, you, when, you, when you've trained yourself to believe you're doing it for the better, for the good of all, the greater good, by t- taking the power off other people's hands and putting it in your own pockets. You see, that's how they rationalize it. And, um, and they cause world wars. They thought that world wars could achieve change, plan changes that they had in mind for taking over the world's resources. And that's where we are today, basically. And you've been here for a long time. And sure enough, they created this, the Council on Foreign Relations in America, the Harold, Harold Pratt group, put the money up for it, a high member of it. And uh, based on Chatham House rules in England for the Royal Institute of International Affairs, which used to be called simply the Lord Alfred Milner Group and Kindergarten Group and different names for the same organization. It was so secretive at one point, and it ran the British Empire. It placed its members across the globe in all the high positions as lieutenant governor generals and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and they would administer businesses and resources and taxation over conquered peoples that, that they were enlightening, you know, by conquering them and taking the resources and using the British uh, taxpayer to fund it all, railroads and troops and things like that. It's pretty good when you you got a nation like Britain, this, this corporation, it's a, that's what it is, this corporation, um, which... Um, you could, you could always tax the people for, for its upkeep, a kind of public-private partnership. Only the, the public don't know they're in it as a partnership, you see, except that you're, you're signed on to pay all the debts off for the conquest and things and the cost of all. And nothing's changed. Nothing's really changed. Very simple cons, really. And it's, it's, it's a form of um, perception con. That's really what it is. It's all down to perception management and train the public to see it in the way that you want them to see the system. Now, the the big organization, the big one at the top that we know of, I don't think it really is the, the, the highest. I'm sure there's one above it, at least one, maybe two or three, in fact. But we know about the Royal Institute for International Affairs. We know about the Council of Foreign Relations. We know that they spawned off uh, in Jimmy Carter's term in office. Uh, the Trilateral Commission, that they were drawn again from members of the CFR, Council of Foreign Relations, and uh, again, the Royal Chief for International Affairs. And they truly, were, as Patrick Wood mentions, they truly were uh, modeled after technocracy, you see, and that technocrats should run the world, people bypassing politicians and they'd eventually phase out the politicians. That was the idea of Technocracy Inc. in the 1930s, after the shambles of World War I, then the Great Depression. Obviously, they had to follow it. And, and um, the World War I didn't end with the 1918. 
it was still on the go right into the Great Depression because now all those who held all the bonds and everything and uh, and the bankers were looting the country. That's what it was for. Now it's time to take over the wealth of the nation and the states too, you know, and, uh, and, and the land and everything else too in the process. It's quite an, an enterprise. Most folk don't realize. That was... They always think of conventional warfare, the first type, number, the first class A, as troop against troop, basically. You don't realize that economic warfare is a big part of it, regardless of using troops or not. And uh, it was very successful with the Great Depression. It consolidated the power of uh, the monopolists, you see, who, again, bought over bankrupted stock and space and property for pennies and a dollar. And that's how you, you, you acquire more and more wealth and become more and more powerful. Your, your institu- if your institution is part of it, like a club of members, and you have your rules you must follow, you've all swore, you've sworn to all the different rules, and it's just like any secret society, which, of course, in a sense it is. And uh, you work together, and you've got a, a command system, so you're coordinated in whatever you're doing. You can't just uh, jump the gun and do your own thing. Uh, you must go along and, and take orders from above and, and obey them, whether you understand them or not. That's imperative in these organizations. It's faith-based, faith that they look after you. That's it. But um, again, you find getting back this thread that you can catch on to. This thread is um, quickly talks about uh, the Rhodes Foundation and Cecil Rhodes' great dream, which wasn't really his, he got it from another guy, a professor. The idea of this just world, when the right folk ruled the world, you see, the, the justness of it all. But to do that, you'd have to take the world over, you understand. You know, it's just a little problem there. And to make it just. It isn't until you really understand it that you realize that technocracy didn't really start in the 1930s at all. It was much older. At least the idea of, again, the right folk running the show efficiently. And, and again, efficient, efficiency is very important with technocracy. Hmm. Awfully important. And so, as far as I'm concerned, through the 19th century and into the 20th century, you had this idea of democracy. Because you might, you got to get the people going along with you, right? Thinking they've got rights, maybe or maybe they're going to get rights or get more rights or something as time goes on. If you just fight for democracy and do what you're told and help the system, as opposed to telling them, no, behind all the whole, the whole thing, we've got technocracy or, or more of a, a scientifically run system, which is efficient and we're, use, we're only using democracy in the meantime to achieve our goals. That's what it is. And things to come, H.G. Wells. He wrote the book, and he was a member of the club too, naturally, as a propagandist, with a team of writers with him. Of course, there were. He even gives you clues of that in some of his books with the beginnings of them. How he comes in the morning, and all this information has just been laid on his desk from by professors and things like that. And that wasn't far off the mark. But uh, things to come showed you a system. Off. It was meant for the people. To, again, remember when it was written, eh? 
And it was to make people think, oh, no, this is going to go on uh, forever. More wars and more wars and more wars. And we don't know when to stop. And when you look at World War One, and there's many ways you can look at it. You can look at it traditionally, yeah? meaning the authorised version. We still can't give you a real answer as to why it started, to be honest with you. you know. But they, they use the same techniques as all the boy. The boys will be home by Christmas. Yeah, that, that's the first lie, yeah. and things like that. And because tr- the first casualty of war is truth, naturally. And since those who rule the world are at war with you all the time, then they're always telling you lies anyway, regardless of the time period. Yeah. So, so says uh, Machiavelli, I suppose. But anyway, World War One, and the incredible loss of life. We, we can't really fathom it at the moment, today. And, and again, the newspapers that would just daily, daily print out the propaganda, our boys at the front, and all that kind of led up to the ideas for 1948, George Orwell, you know, World War One and World War Two. Propaganda, our boys at the Malabar Front to have fought off the, the enemy with an extra so many airplanes, so many extra so many thousand tanks, and yeah, yeah, just reeling out all the munitions in materialistic fashion right, of of weaponry. So science is very important to technocracy, and the idea of it right down to how to reshape the world. And again, H.G. Wells was all for this utopia. He, he called it a modern utopia at one point, in one of his writings. And a new world order, too. He wrote the book on that as well. He also said a lot, a lot of people will die fighting against the new world order. They'll die in vain, he said. The reason why they die in vain is because, you see, this is the hard part folk can't really fathom. Because people are are dual-minded. Your conditioning will always fight with what you perceive uh, and realism. And I see in people that should know better falling right back into, oh, where's the one person that's going to save us? Who can we vote for? I see them. People who should know better. That's been conned for centuries. You think one person is going to turn up out of the blue and be allowed to, to stand up for you? Even, even if it was real, <laughs> which is doubtful. But no, uh, people fight against their own conditioning. That's really what it is. And what they've been taught, that they're still free. No, they're, they're not really free. H.G. Wells, as he shows you, uh, it tries to get it through your head and things to come. And a modern utopia. And, and a world order, the new world order, basically. As he termed it as well. As you say, thousands will fight against it, or many will die in vain, basically. Why did he know that? Is this the first kind of struggle for, for freedom that you couldn't win? He says, what's he telling you here? They'll die in vain. What, what he's trying to tell you is, you've all been conditioned to believe reality by the people who already own you and have conquered you. And I gave this talk in the late 90s on a radio show. And I said, you, you grow up thinking you, you, that you're free simply because you, you don't walk into bars that don't suddenly appear there, you know. 
normally and wherever you're going until they end up in some kind of martial law situation. And suddenly you're walking along the same roads and the same country lanes or whatever happens, and bang, the bars just come up in front of your face, just like that, boom, that's it. You've never, you never seen them before. Because you see, you're allowed a certain amount of freedom to give the perception that you're free. A certain amount. But when the big boys and gals want to to let you know, they, they, they press the button, up come the bars very quickly. But also, to issue was new, that, that uh, your conditioning, because they make you think you're free, will be your, your worst enemy when you're trying to be free. And so in the 90s, I said, you know, you're taught and trained from childhood that your country, because again, Britain was socialistic, okay? To win the people over, they give you socialism at times. And also they train you to be obedient to government agencies as they proliferate, you see. And you say, well, there's a department of this. If if I ever need welfare, I can just get it. If I hit hard times, there's unemployment bureaus. They'll give me cash after if I get laid off. And and you got all these complaints departments, official complaints departments, they can go and put a, 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 an order, a, a complaint to, basically, they'll, they'll jump into action and deal with it on my behalf. That's what you think, you see. And even today, if I get sick and go to hospital, but you're, you're forgetting that you may be sitting at a certain age or whatever, and they've already demoted you before you walk in the doors by your age and everyone else. <laughs> and they're going to even spend money and waste money, your money, mind you, and then they waste it on you uh, and treating you. Honestly, you die. Or even help you die now. What's he do in Canada? So you, you, you take a lot for granted until you need it. As I said, eventually it's like when things happen and you need those tools that are out there to, for you help, to, to help you. You're paying for all your life, right? It's like, a, okay, I'll take a pick, you know, like a, a pickaxe you know, or a spade or something. Then, then you go you dig with it and you find all these tools that they've given you are made of rubber. And so that pickaxe bounces off the road when you whack it, and so on. And so I'm showing you that that the tools are fake. They're not there for you at all, and they're not meant to work for you. That's how it really is. That's just the start of it, isn't it? You see, the New World Order that H.G. Wells was talking about, who are you going to complain to when you see those who rule, they are your order. They, they, you have, they run your whole system. The whole system. Now all the complaints department, everything, they're in it all. You, you, you've been deceived, brainwashed to believe that you're free. And uh, you realize, no, you, you, you're, you're conquered, technically conquered. And it's the best form of being conquered because who do you fight when you're conquered? It's, it's like everybody you'll see has been appointed by somebody to position of power over you. But you're taught that it's just natural and they just appeared out of nowhere and, you know, little, little, little committees in your towns appoint them. And really, who owns, who owns them? Who owns your town? That's it. That's what you're, you're living it in a, a fantasia, in a sense, inside your own head. 
And so, as you're, if you're fighting this, that's what he's, also, this is, he's talking about this way at the beginning of the 20th century. Eh? If you're fighting the New World Order, he says, he says that many will die in vain. But he's not telling you the rest. Of, the rest of the story is, you see, the whole system is theirs. It's not, they're not taken over. You see, they took over a long time ago. And your politicians are all pre-selected to be front men and women. And they know that. Quigley said that too. In his book, Tragedy and Hope, he, he mentions, yeah, there is a group and has been a group, that blah, 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 and he goes into it. And, and he, he said that it's existed for, for that the heads of parties, political parties, all parties, eh? are members of the same organization. And he says they have been for at least the last, I think it was 60 years, maybe for, maybe further back. No, he, he wrote his book in the 1960s. And we know from the British side, it pre-existed that by at least, well, it probably going back into the 1880s maybe. So we're living through a system that is clever enough to give you a fake version of reality so that you, you just don't collapse mentally. You think, oh, okay, that's okay, and things will get better because we're optimists. And, and, and media, they're, they're media will tell you, well, things will get better, don't worry. Or the war will end soon. Eh? Uh, or, or the economy will take an upturn, you know, it'll be good again, you know, all, all that stuff that they play with you with. Eh? But... You've had the greatest example in the States this last, this last while. With Trump getting in, you know, regardless of who he is, really. But there's no doubt about it. Certain forces were not happy with it from the beginning, obviously. And he couldn't get any cooperation, regardless if the guy's right or wrong, what he's doing. He couldn't get any cooperation on anything he was doing pretty well. Almost anything he was doing. Couldn't get it, and then we 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 for the, for the nineteen for the for two thousand and twenty, we've had this coordinated effort. And I said that months and months and months ago, that I thought that China and the States and the rest of the world had all agreed to come on board with this COVID thing before we even heard of it. They would do the drama. I even mentioned that how they'd fall down the streets and stuff. That this, why would how would China if they, if they don't want to see you see anything? You'll not see it. It won't get published and put on the net somewhere for you to see. But we saw the terrifying images of these big dump trucks and spraying stuff out in the, down, down, down through the streets, hundreds of feet into the air, and horrifying stuff. Eh? Mm, yeah, to terrify the West. To get us ready for it, to get us ready for terror, you see. So it had to be a collusion with them. Of course it was. Yes, it was. All the countries are working together. Don't forget, I used to give, give the talks about the, the Council on Foreign Relations and the big bigwigs themselves who, who always said in their speeches that China was a model state for the world to emulate. What part of that don't you understand? And people say, well, we're not Chinese, you know, they're communists. And they, they get tied up with terminology. 
China is a technocratic state. It was set up out by outsiders, <laughs> more in China. And the first thing they needed was massive cash. And those who, who could understand and manage cash and debt and credit and the chronology of money. You know. And uh, the West provided them with that and funded them into existence with the free trade agreements and the GATT Treaty and so on. It's astonishing. People, people don't even know it. They, even folk who lived through it all don't even know it. That suddenly everything was made in China. Suddenly their factories were going over, getting in the, in the pay, shipped overseas wholesale. The factories dismantled and put over there some of them. All the tooling, everything. And they were getting paid to do it by your tax money. Your own government, your, what you think are your governments, they're not yours. Did it all and uh, made it happen, made it so, as you say. And they're still paying for it. And millions of folk lost their jobs. I can remember a place in Ontario alone, uh, one of the towns there that was a factory town. One factory after another, within a span of two or three years, went under. Boom, boom, like dominoes. And folk applying for jobs and being there for two or three weeks, and then that would close. One after the other. They were terrified, these people, families and all, mortgages, the whole thing. All planned that way. By the politicians that signed us all onto it, under the guise of free trade. The group that drafted up all the agreements for free trade came out on television eventually 2005 in Canada as the Council on Foreign Relations and quite happily told us all that uh, they had uh, drafted up the free trade for the Americas. Nobody votes for these characters but they're members all through politics and civil service positions. Media, you know, the whole thing. They also proudly boasted that they'd, they'd done a similar thing for the European Union. And they had. <laughs> Small world, eh? Isn't it? And the same thing they, for, for, the, for China, the China deal. And more to come, the Trans-Pacific Partnerships and so on. I've got books that they wrote from the 1920s and 30s where they go through a European Union long before the public heard about anything like that or a free trade deal or an economic meeting group or whatever as they initially called in, in Europe by the same groups, by their own publications you're living through a script and now it's time to go into real efficiency and do away with it. They've used democracy. In fact, they've used, you know, they've used your tax money to, to force this, this totalitarian system across the planet by helping people. We're here to help you. <laughs> now, set up a system just like ours. We'll appoint the people in charge. And um, we can't let folk just come in and start their own businesses. We'll take over the resources and manage it responsibly. Oh, by the way, there's too many of you etc. 
We'll supply the education for that and the facilities to reduce the population and keep it to a lower fare. I mean, this, this is how it's done. And the hardest folk to get through to are the more brainwashed folk in the West. Because they really think that they, had, they lived in a free society. They still do. And in, as I say, 2020, you had, you had get rid of Trump, uh, you know, on the go, the mantra. You had open riots in the streets, color revolutions that were run by the military, by the way, military agencies, or agencies attached to the military, often special forces, by the way, as well. And I really mean that, you know. Uh, and they put their leaders, etc., who are all fu- well-funded, and uh, the followers are all expendable, they're useful. That's all. So they're burning down streets and so on, and businesses and, and homes across the U.S. All in one year, with, along with COVID. This COVID all of a sudden it just came out of China, they said, you know. Now tried and I even came out of there, and yada, yada, yada. And now the whole world has to change because of COVID. And, and that's happening. People getting locked down, but rioters and protesters are allowed to riot and protest. And the cops stand back and do nothing. And so does the government. That doesn't happen by itself all in the same year, folks. And then you have an election. And you know, you know, that with Antifa and Black Lives Matter and the riots and protests and all the rest of them and the burnings and lootings, <laughs> that more folks swung that would never have swung even to Trump. Way more. Because they didn't want a communist. What they, thought, what they saw or perceived as a communist uprising, that's what, that's what they thought it was. Taken over, so they weren't going to vote for 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 liberal or, or left wing. No way. So it doesn't matter that everything's fudged. All the voting things are fudged. Didn't matter to us, and it never will, because the, the establishment at the top want it this way. The same establishment that was there before want it this way. Courses it's managed. The deep state, the the CIA. Alternate parallel government Say Call it what you want Again the CFR group Who call themselves the establishment By the way Because they, they're put into all prominent positions Before want to believe That suddenly you No know, it's just a, a little hiccup in time That's what we're noticing on the graph here That's our present time Space It's a little hiccup We'll go back to Even now there's, there's no nothing going to, to, to point out. They've all said the opposite. You're not going into any kind of normal, normalcy, old normalcy again. Things will never be the same again, says Fauci back in what, March. <laughs> How would he know? Because he belongs to the same CIA club. And his position that manages bacterial and viral warfare and so on courses. And he knows the big club wants to use this across the world. For the Great Reset, the technocratic system that Mr. Wood, Patrick Wood and, um, and Darlene Paul were talking about in the video. But it's the same system as saying it meant it was on the go long before, before the trilaterals came along in Carter's time, Jimmy Carter. Now, technocrats can be put into any position in advance. They're all sworn allegiance to a club that selected them to even go into politics in the first place. Guaranteed to get put in, by the way, as prime ministers and 
and deputy prime ministers and governors, etc., across the world. And the British Empire is a good example. It's, again, it's corporation. Eh? It's a good example because New Zealand and Australia and a, a part of India too, where they're also having riots in India, they're, they're, they're trying to keep that out in the media too. But folk, folk are fighting back for sure. But Australia and New Zealand... You didn't see all their leaders suddenly. These, these democratic leaders suddenly are all complete, stern technocrats. We can't have we can't have freedom and democracy during this period. So that's it's gone, it's banished, and it's emergency powers, which is martial law, you know, and do what you're told, and so on. Yeah. But they're all members of the. That's how they were selected long ago. If you ever look at how people. Look at the resumes of folk who end up in politics. They generally are of the same ilk. The men and women. You know, the, uh, they don't want to work for a living. I mean work, really work. They may have jobs, but they're, they're not, I don't call it work, you know. But they, they go into... Charitable agencies to into committees on the boards and committees, not to work inside them and do the actual work, but they, but they join all these different things on the boards. You see, and you you'll find it if you if there's anything. For instance, a good a good example is drugs. Any any organisation in your community that's to do with drugs, uh, fight the war on drugs or something. Uh, yeah, and it's a, a charitable institution, and, and it'll be registered as a charitable institution. Uh, that's where folk can go uh, to become politicians. You start off there, and get a few other ones, and they go too. And yet, you, you come in with little briefcases and so on, and you all wear little business suits, men and women. And there's always an older guy at the end of the table who, who everyone knows, is reeks of authority, the congenial authority. It make you feel at home, but you know he's the boss. Even though this is, a, this is a panel, supposedly, to decide on, on dispensing money and aid, or whatever it happens to be, to, to do with drugs, or any other private charitable institution, you see. It's always to help people. But he's a selector. He selects people to go up. And he, he's the one who'll write their resumes, you know, like a good report card, and, and steer them off into the right direction, if they're the right stuff, you see. And he'll, he'll give them, well, you should join this club now, you know, this other group. And that's how you up the ladder, one step, step by step. And you, you're being initiated and, and you're tested the whole way to see if you've got the right stuff, if keeping your mouth shut. And they'll even give you little setups to see if you will keep your mouth shut. You're tested. And these are the people who put forward to, and to, for politics, you see. In fact, you don't. You needn't have any political ambitions or, or, or convictions, I should say. Left or right, they'll they'll create a role for you. You'll be a left winger, or a right winger, or a moderate. Or whatever. They'll, they'll create it for you. You're, you're not pretty well an actor, but you'll always know that you've got bosses above prime ministers and presidents. And when the word's given, you'll all swing in and say exactly the same things at the right time. And at the same time, like total lockdown, etc. That's how it's done. And they've all sworn to obey, all of them. You can look at the media, for goodness sake. 
with the same phrases. Why have 500 different TV channels across the states or more? Who I don't know who they've got. Where they all say the same things, the same statements, same line for line, everything verbatim on the same topics. Which proves there's no independence in any of them. So yeah, I've got some old books too, fascinating ones from the 19th century as well. But they talk, you know, the aristocracy talk about their meeting in their clubs, in their actually meetings in their clubs, and, and who, who they meet. And I saw Randolph today and things like that. And um, and Winston, young Winston, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And at the club, and we're just sitting having their little drinks and cigars as... Zeppelin bombers, the old Zeppelins, World War One, were dropping the occasional bomb and chatting about things like that. It's, it's quite fascinating to get into the to the mind and, and the fact that that Winston, in one of the books, commented on this ridiculous f- phantasm thing, of a thing called democracy that was they kept pushing in Britain at the time during World War. It's true they were pushing it. Um, We'll get rights for the... If you go off and fight and die for the corporation, we'll give you, you know, which is early a hand to getting rights once you're dead, eh? then, uh, yeah, you'll get rights afterwards. And so on. That's the reality of it. That's how things really were. And still are, to a good extent, too. But again, getting back to the point of it, this is not a new thing. It's just the later phases, they call it technocracy. And technocracy with Jimmy Carter uh, promoting them all. Mainly, most of them actually in his cabinet or his office were technocrats for the first time. We see it now, they appoint them to, to run countries now when Prime Minister or something collapses like Italy or France or somewhere or Spain. They'll occasionally appoint a technocrat, they actually say in the papers, a technocrat from their central bank and put them in as Prime Minister. I mean, not unelected, you see. That's technocracy at work. That happened a few years ago. But most folk, again, they still go back. They've fallen in for the, the voting. This is our man, our woman. This, is, this person speaks for me. <laughs> there you go. But see, all you've had really in the last four years in the States and the world has had was a, a breather a temporary respite, which was, was abused and misused because most most folk couldn't see what was coming. In fact, they missed the point of it. The one thing that perhaps Trump did, at least say, <laughs> I don't know if he did an awful lot, but he, he, he pulled the U.S. out of the, the Paris Accord with the climate change stuff, which was the whole agenda for sustainability under the guise of using the climate. You see? Now they're using COVID for the Great Reset. But sustainability was always the idea. Too many folk causing problems, and we've got to start culling the population and bringing it down, and etc. You see, and totally coupled, of course, with technocracy, which was energy units, and and you are a human being, you're an energy unit, you consume energy too, and and you've seen the publications. If you've bothered to look at them. 
from the from the, the, the Paris Treaty and Accord and so on, the Climate Accord, and the Conference of Parties, where they talk about it quite openly that, uh, yeah, you know, each person born will, that little baby will, will consume X amount of, of, of energy units, meaning money and resources, etc. That's all put down to energy units in the first six months of its life, just keeping it alive. They're quite blatant about it all. But folk don't like to hear unpleasant things, so they turn their head away, and they've been taught not to look at the unpleasant. That's what a good part of the New Age was about. All you saw in the New Age movement, movement avoid anybody that's negative. Well, what do you mean by negative? Well, it makes you feel unpleasant. Okay, also topics that are unpleasant should be avoided. Absolutely. Think of the good things. Think of the things you want, and they'll just come your way if you think properly in the magical formula about it, and you'll get what you want. What you want, you see. It's all about what you want. And personal power for yourself. But yeah, don't look at anything that's negative. So you saw the coming free trade with China, and... um, and the money, that was your money, tax money, was going to fund all the movements for businesses and corporations and factories over to China from their West. The whole West, it was like an armada of goodbye factories and everything. Literally. And we paid for it with our tax money. Through the free trade agreement, that wonderful free trade agreement. And they gave China the most favored nation trading status. Meaning, it didn't have to pay any taxes to, uh, uh, for 15 years. It could pollute like crazy. But it could still apply taxes to any imported goods coming into China. But you're stuck, you have to buy from China and don't penalize them at all for taxes. It's import duties. Wonderful. And at the end of 15 years, if any of the corporations that were over there making things in China said that they hadn't made the proper profits that they expect to make in that time because of the move, then they could extend the, the free taxes now for another 15. There's 30 years of free taxes and so on. Not bad, eh? And we're still giving out free trade because, you see, it was planned a long time ago by the same club who boasted about it, as I said, in 2005. But they were also behind it in the 1930s, talking about the same deal. It's now the Trans-Pacific Partnership and had a Trans-Asia Partnership and so on. From the books in the twenties and thirties. But facts don't matter to most folk, do they? They just don't prefer to believe that we're fighting a battle by voting day by day and year by year and um and they're eventually the person with the white hat will come along and say, Vote for me, I'm gonna fix it and you'll all go and fall in the same trap again. But say so you had four years, at least for a brief, Trump knew that and I read the articles even before Trump got in. That Canada and the states, state by state, to, and to the provinces had done combined agreements on implementing all the free trade measures, regardless of national interest and national policy. We've been doing it all along. You see, implementing all the the the, the climate change agreements, whether you went to the meetings or not. <laughs> Because they're appointed all the same. That's what I'm saying. This monster, this monster of an organization already has placed all of its people in the right positions of power. Always has, you see. They're all selected, pre-selected as quickly as that. 
just like all the ministers for health in all the Western countries, in, in Australia, they're all members of the same club with the WHO, etc. Some of them even have, uh, have been, are still board members of the WHO, could have dual interest. Eh? Well, I don't vote for the WHO either. Do you? But technocracy, again, was to be efficient. Margaret Thatcher joined it eventually. When she retired, she talked about it. She says, I now belong to a group where we get things done. We're not responsible to, for, to the public for votes. We don't have to persuade the public to go along with it. We just do it quietly behind the scenes. And she's eyes a, a former prime minister. No other uh, prime ministers and former prime ministers, current and retired, and, and top civil servants across the world and presidents and so on, next presidents and we get the job done. She's done the Trilateral Commission. Not responsible to the people, you see. That the things that H.G. Wells showed you and things to come. In the movie version, they, they put a bit of it in there too, where the descendants of the technocrats who took over the system. Uh, in fact, it was the same actors who used for, for generations later, but the descendants, the they, they, they showed you, we're still going on in the future, regardless of the little people they left behind, down at the bottom, it was still the same descendants of, of all the leaders, which shows you eugenics in, in there too, obviously, superior groups, you see, who would go off into space and conquer the stars and leave all the, the useless folk down below to do paintings, you see, and sculptures, because and, had nothing else to do except play, because everything was made by machines, you see. Technocracy, Schwab and the Great Reset, same thing. It's all there, isn't it? Old, old plan, you see, very old plan. And before, as I say, they used to believe that world wars were necessary to get the countries to their knees, as H.G. Wells said, and give up their national sovereignty and allow themselves to be governed and ruled by their proper people who'd managed the resources and all that. Mm-hmm. Old agenda. It's monotonous to me. It's maybe monotonous to you too. But there we are with it. It's a never-ending agenda. The never-ending story, I used to call it. It's like chapters in a book. The book goes on forever because it's the same controllers for centuries, really. Member two, cutting through the matrix.com. Send bucks my way, hopefully, and I can keep ticking along here and uh, maybe even expand in some small way, perhaps. Because uh, we're, we're on a real roller coaster now. We're really going into it now. And uh, it's, it's on steroids, obviously. You can smell it coming down the pike, this long, sought-after stage of their dream. You know, it's not the whole dream. It's a big stage to, uh, towards it, though. Uh, the whole stage of, of this... This, this part of the dream won't be finished until uh, the end of this century. So again, Agenda 21, the agenda for the whole of the 21st century is split up into sections like 2030 and so on. And each, each, each um, goalpost, like 2030, is what they want to have achieved by that date. And then it's on to the next 15 years, the next 50. And they want to have the whole of the Agenda 21 finished at the end of the century. And by that time, they're talking about a whole different 
society, a whole different, a, a much reduced population to worldwide, eh? going towards their, their, their goal of sustainability, meaning massive reduction of population. They don't want people around. They have no real purpose, or they have no purpose for you. <laughs> so again, send a few bucks my way, uh, cutting3medius.com, PayPal's fine, cash is fine. A personal check is fine. And some people can even send um, international postal money orders from their countries to Canada, but not from the States. Now they stopped that from the States. And um, even small bank checks you can get done at the bank even, or MoneyGram. And we'll see how all that goes as time goes on. Because big changes are happening so fast now. And um, free, free speech is really out the window Really out the window. It truly is, you know. When they bring in the military, cyber war agencies, and attack the people, like I mentioned last week and the week before, they've declared war on their own peoples. And the newspapers has published articles. So cutting through com. make a list of the sites I have, because if one goes down, hopefully the other ones will, there's always one up there, if you don't hear me on the, on the Sunday night, Monday morning. Then uh, try the other sites, make a list of them for your own benefit. Because we're, we're truly going through momentous times in history. It's bad enough having a world war and watching mass slaughter across countries and monuments getting put up in towns, cities and hamlets across the world to all the folk who got slaughtered, you know. All for the greater good, you know, it was, it was for the war to end all wars, and our H.G. Wells' big lie. And his white feather, as I said before, I just finished that, I shouldn't have finished that all. He said, how do you get the guys to go off and fight in this war, world war? You think H.G. Wells would be a pacifist? No, he was all for the agenda. He was selected, eh? And he says, uh, if, we, if we get the women to shame their, their fiancés or their husbands, by wearing a, f- a white feather in their hat in public in the streets, and th- it would make people point again, make for the guilt complex. So shame, shame, shame them, and the men would go for the, the dirty tricks that they play today. Eh? Never ending, never ending. Doesn't stop, does it? The same characters that that, that used World War One for things to come. <laughs> Oh, we can't go on like this. Look at the chaos and slaughter and perpetual war that will continue after it. Eh? So we need a really ruling caste, a ruling elite to rule the world properly. A Freemasonry of the air, he called it in his book. Eh? A secret society, all sworn to be a brotherhood of the air. Eh? Mm. I tell you. But that's what he said, yeah, he said, uh, many will fight in the old order and they'll, they'll, they'll fight and die in vain. Because, you see, it's the whole system. It's the whole system. It never was for the people, <laughs> never was at all. Our indoctrinated uh, version of history, the authorized versions, it make you think the world's always, always fighting itself through different factions, just fighting and, and wanting to dominate and so on. 
and that there 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 are clear lines between different kind of groups and parties and associations and nations. But it's nothing like that at all when it comes to the big organizations that run the world. And just pondering through their own books with their international meetings, just for the Royal Institute for International Affairs itself, and all of its affiliates too that attend, you know, they've of international affairs groups for India and all the Commonwealth countries still today, and other countries now as well. And and then they brought the U.S. in with the CFR long ago too. And now they have one as well that uh, was set up for the politicians and and, uh, the the higher elites, the the commissionaries in uh, the European Union. Same groups, all same across the whole planet, and the Asia Pacific group uh, for for the Far East as well, including Australia. So it's a vastly different world than than the way you're trained to believe it. It's always a, we need world government because we're always fighting each other. But when you look at the attendees of the meetings, the world meetings that they have for their all Institute for International Affairs. In the 1930s, as an example, they have all kinds of people as members, communists, um, revolutionaries, uh, the members in Southern Ireland who were revolutionaries too, full members. In those meetings, the 1930s, they already had chapters on free trade with most favored nation trading status categories in them. Same organization that all the way down through the 1960s, 70s, and 80s brought you the European Union and brought you uh, the the free trade agreements for the Americas and for NAFTA, now the US, MCA, and they call it now. Same agreement, really. Uh, same group behind it all. And some of them, you know, their, their names of the people who attend the meetings, because some of them are your presidents and prime ministers. Other ones are high civil servants. Other ones are members of your central banking system. It's one big club, you see. And they have specialists in all different areas. And they actually say that, too. And all the other international organizations that they own and institutes of international affairs. Lots of them. They couldn't use the royal title in some of the countries naturally because uh, they wouldn't, were not members of the British Commonwealth. So it's an ongoing process with, again, the idea of, of wars, which we can find out by Quigley's other books on South Africa, Boer War, who was behind it to make it all happen, to grab the resources, and how, and how the, the group that he belonged to also studied intensely uh, the Russian or Bolshevik revolution and, and studied it. Uh, so that's why you see they have all members, all kinds of members in their organization. Quickly said the same thing. We, we, have, we, we're not, we don't care if they're communists or dictators or whatever. All, they'll take anybody on board if they're useful, you see. But for the people that they rule over, they train you to believe that everybody's definite. We, we all think this way in this nation. We all think about this are, these are our enemies over there in that nation. Uh, that's, what, that's a historical version that's drummed into you. 
but in reality, it's fascinating. We, as Quigley says, we don't care what they are. <laughs> they bring them in, eh? And they all have their drinky poos together after these big meetings and lunches and very congenial and jovial, you see. That's how it's done. From an organization that uh, says pragmatic, it's very, it, it, it does things out of necessity uh, to get things done and all the eggs that you break, like, like Rockefeller said, you know, that's, you can't make an omelet without breaking the eggs. Well, that's all the fallout and chaos and unemployment it's caused or even wars. It's just unfortunate. That's the shells that are all broken from the eggs. And you can't make an omelet with it any other way, you see. So they can always rationalize anything that's done for the greater good. That's all through their books, the greater good, you know. And for the good life, they had all these code terms um, and buzzwords and, and phrases. And uh, the good life, the one that Bertrand Russell always used, because he was a member of it too, of course. But uh, yes, to bring the good life to the people. But if you really study Bertrand Russell's uh, ideas, he didn't believe that it was a matter of dis- distributing more goods to the, to the poorer folk, uh, or even to the folk in the working class in Britain either, who were still poor. He, it was more of a, a careful, again, it's technocracy is what it is called today. Technocracy is uh, the, the system to be brought in on behalf of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash Council on Foreign Relations, and the, the Asian Pacific Group, of course, and so on and so on. It's all the same bunch, bringing the same agenda. And, of course, the proper people will decide how you uh, distribute the goods and redistribute the wealth of the of the general public. <laughs> We're doing that already through the whole exercise of COVID because, obviously, uh, with all this fake money being, being fakely created by the fake bankers, how can you be a real banker if, if there's no real tangible thing to, to point to. You're not transferring gold or silver across bank to bank and so on. It's all blips and computer screens. It's created on the spot, basically. So you don't really need a banker who really carefully, meticulously looks at debts and, and profits and, and so on. If it's not backed by anything. And so, but it's a matter of control. There's no doubt about that. It's a better form of control management of the general populace, because it, it decide, even even in, in uh, population control, if you make it almost impossible to afford children, then fewer folk will have children, or if the ones that do have it, they can't got the cash, and they're not getting subsidized to have the child, and, and take care of the child, then the child's probably going to get sick and, and die, maybe the parents will die as well because you can't afford the proper nutrition, etc., or heat in the winter, and all these things. This is stuff that Malthus talked about, and other ones after him, too, talked about. And all the top economists that belong to the group I'm talking about now have often brought up that there's many ways to control population, economic factors being one of them. So we're, we're going through a long-term agenda, and, of course, it's now married with technocracy, which is... Uh, the technocrats, basically, uh, the technocrat system using technology to manage the general population on a global scale. Uh, you you find it written in a lot of non-fiction books and and fiction as well. It's through all the movies, there are lots of the movies that you watch and the sci-fi movies. It's all these little 
predictive programming type implants you get put into your mind through watching them. Well, yeah, it starts off as a possibility, then you start to see it becomes a reality, and then eventually it's pushed as a necessity for your own good and for the safety and for anti-terrorism reasons. You've all got to get chipped or at the very least monitored on every move that you make using your cell phone or whatever it happens to be at the time. But the fact is, you're always programmed for what's to come. And and a lot of folk like it, you know, especially if you're brought up with watching the sci-fis and believing it. And they want to say, well, that's fantastic. It's a great, a great th- I wouldn't mind living in a world like that. And of course, you don't realize you're getting programmed to do something similar, but not quite the same. It won't be a wonderful utopia, that's for sure. But you certainly will be monitored and managed with your social credit score, the same as China. Uh, you know, China is, it's the model state with all to copy. I've got articles going back from the 1970s before they really built up China by using our money <laughs> and um, and creating the modern China, talking about uh, the, the, this could be a model state because the, the people are so obedient in China, you see. And they're more used to dictatorial feudal systems of management, feudalism and uh, socialism too. Ancient China tried all kinds of government uh, systems to manage the people and, and meticulously studied it all, of course, and, and its efficacy, and etc., to compare them all. And today you have the outcome of it all. And uh, again, you've got the leaders of the world today, the communist leaders, again, all members of the same international club. They don't discriminate on your point of view. If you're handy and you believe in totalitarianism, then they'll bring you in. And for democratic countries, they'll give you kind faces that say things in a much more pleasant way, but want the same thing, you see. They want international uh, duty. You have an international duty to your fellow man and woman. And uh, and you'll be trained to, to have that. It's like China. That's what China's based on, you see. So that's you, that's why you only copy China. And you'll all be happy doing it. And, and you'll live with a lot less, like like uh, Klaus Schwab said, Mr. Schwab. And who appointed him? Like the same club, basically. A, a different branch, you see. Specialized branch. That's what it is. Yeah. He speaks for the moneyed interests that manage the world. Because it's a big part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Don't forget, the Royal Institute for International Affairs came out of the Rhodes Foundation with Cecil Rhodes and Lord Rothschild. And then merged with the Lord Alfred Milner Group that also was getting funded by the same financiers in the British Empire to create the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Long, long-term planning, eh? And when you when you really have these massive committees with massive think tanks with, that work twenty-four hours a day at times, and, and literally I've, I've used generations of people hiring and and retiring and hiring and retiring, they always achieve their goals. Why can't they? Because you see, you, no ordinary middle-class businessman could imagine. Oh, I'll still be working down the way through my work. This company here will be going full steam ahead in 200 years' time. You couldn't imagine that. But with private foundations, you see, with all that money and their incredible vested interests and all the monopoly, the monopolization of the world's wealth and resources that they do, 
And then they sink it in and they call themselves charitable foundations and reinvest it for themselves and pay themselves incredible salaries off it too, mind you. Which they, since they've written up all the laws on it, it's all quite legal. And, and so, yeah, they can, they can give their workers at the top billions of dollars a year, just like the bankers do too. Yeah, yeah the top ones get paid awfully well. And the big think tanks that they have, they're, they're really like private civil servants, like, like whole corporate, whole battalions of them sitting there doing their work, each working on precise planning of the future in their own specialized areas. That's how it's done. Too much for the average person to imagine, because you don't hear that coming out the mouths of politicians, because you see that their job is not to bring you into the big secret. You're meant to just fall into line. That, well, this this guy in Toronto there, that Ford guy, he's, 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 he's annoyed that folk are protesting his lockdowns. And that's how the, that's how folks see things. You're, you're trained to, to see the person in the Punch and Judy show that you throw tomatoes at. That's what their job is. They don't plan all this stuff. They don't plan. Look at the, the organization that turned from the start on Trump, President Trump, when he got in. It, it was like that we're not going to work for this guy. Like the whole government, we're not going to work for We said, what on earth? Is, what is this real thing of government? If that, because after all, if the people really voted him in, they're supposed to jump to it and do what they're told and get on with it. But nope. Fought, fought, fought the whole, the whole time in office. As I say, there's no doubt, there's no doubt overwhelmingly, never mind the fraud voters, fraud that they're claiming and so on, but the fact is, the, the whole antics of Black Lives Matter and the, the Antifa burnings and so on, and all the lootings that we saw as well, all paid, these were all paid and funded by the so-called deep state, the big boys, yeah which is a real system that runs the world. That's your evidence. But there's no doubt about it. It made more and more folk vote for Trump regardless. Because who would vote in a communist government to sit there and watch communists go to work? That's the impression it was put over to the people at least. Even though, say, the leaders of these groups were all professionals. Many of them had worked across the world in other color revolutions on behalf of the CIA. But yeah, and all the fake voting and so on. I, I, I don't know if you noticed the one per, some of the more than the one percent. I call it one percent in Egypt of another dynasty. They found over a hundred uh, mummies. They found on dis, they've got them on display. Some of them, and there's more and more to come. Have you read that recently? It was about two weeks ago in the papers. Eh? And at the time, I thought, you know, and it sure is fate. If you looked up the names of these mummies, they all voted for Biden. I guarantee they'll be on the list. But that's how farcical it all is. It's so farcical. We all know it. But we all know that the, the real rulers wanted uh, Biden in this time, you see. And sure enough, they're, they're even, make, even making statements like we're back on course now with the climate agenda and Paris Accord and this and that and the other, and, you see. A and the same old, let's bash Russia. <laughs> let's get the war going with Russia. Same kind of stuff. And, I, and again, uh, I've got the, the war drums going for parts of the Middle East and so on. 
So they mean it. They're back on course. That that's what they're really upset with Trump. If Trump had just gone to war with the rest of the list that was mentioned with the PNAC group uh, that General Wesley Clark talks about, if he'd just gone to war with them, uh, you wouldn't have had any of these problems on the go, I think. Would you? Because this uh, agenda run by the big organization I'm mentioning here, that gets upset when its plans and timetables get upset too. And uh, Trump was supposed to finish off Syria, you know. We had the whole thing from, from Bush Jr. and the PNAC group and all the wars that they, they brought the states into. And the whole list was made public, as I said, that was on the list to be taken out of countries. And then when they couldn't just go all the way and, and get rid of Syria, then they had all these uh, proxy armies that they funded by the West. We paid for all our tax money, paid for all. Uh, rather than get uh, American boots on the ground in other European countries, they, they, they got their proxy armies. I remember doing the talks on them. It was in the newspapers at the time, the general newspapers. The money was coming in to, to, to Qatar and different places and weaponry and etc. But they're all getting funded and trained and all the rest of it. We know who the coterie of groups that were doing it all were about. And it really upset them, you see. Uh, they, they continued with Obama. And Obama had more war. He expanded the wars. And he got approval from the PNAC group. But Rumsfeld, remember, Donald Rumsfeld, I congratulated him for continuing the same wars and expanding them against the same countries. And then you get uh, Donald Trump, you see, who didn't even really retaliate big time against the fake chemical attack in Syria, because they'd put that little thing, well, we can't go to war with them unless they use chemicals on their own people. So that fake one, of course, is all being expounded by Craig Murray and others as to what really happened there. We followed up all the, the real details on it. And um, and then you have uh, Trump just, just you know, I kind of half, not even a half heart, it wasn't even that much of a, a, a retaliatory strike against Steve. Something in him said, no, we'll never really figure it out. But uh, the press initially gave him kudos for it and gave him good points for the first time that he got in. He had good points. Yeah, right, continue, Donald. Get rid, get rid of Assad. And, you see? Because that's what the U.S. does through the CIA. And the CIA really runs it all, that part of it. Right? And, and they wanted Assad out. Of course, they're the deep state, the peanut group. Yeah, it's all the same group. But they wanted Assad out. And, and they had... had Wanting about for years to democratize, you know, the middle. At the very least, what they say is to put in um, more representative type governments, more secular. They call it more secular type government. Remember when when they, when they had the big one in in in, in uh, Egypt, the revolution, again funded by the West. The, the, the one they got in wasn't secular enough, so they got rid of him too with the cultural revolution. This is what they, they, this is all admitted to now. And that's what you just had in the U.S. It was a complete color revolution. Following the, 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 the PSYOP warfare groups, they're special forces, by the way, uh, and the taking over of all the whole Internet, just they're using against Canadians and Americans now, by, and Britain, by their own PSYOP forces. I've, I've read the articles which they've published themselves. And, um, 
And then you have the ones in the streets, of course. They're all psyop groups. They always look for favorable groups that they can actually uh, buy off and help lead to get the numbers up for their riots or so-called demonstrations and so on. And uh, this is standard, standard color revolution out of the manuals of, of warfare put up by the Department of Defense. Yeah, your, your own governments are behind it. That's why you didn't get the certain generals who were going to, going to stop it, by the way. I'll probably touch on unconventional warfare before the night's out. But it is astonishing to me, listening to people that should know better, falling right back into the idea of voting. As I said before, if voting did you any good, it would be made illegal, obviously. I've heard people recently again say something I've said for months and months and months and years actually is that the whole system is so corrupt anyway. You, can, you could never get justice even if it was real, you see. It's so corrupt. Because we're a corrupt uh, people, you see, today. The culture is corrupt. Wealth was elevated above all, everything else. You're taught to worship the richest people. And those that made it good to become stars, you know, either music or entertainment and acting. And, and that's what you've been fed, a steady diet of the lives of the rich and famous. And, and the rest of the people, the ordinary folk are just cast aside as somehow irrelevant because that's a class system, isn't it? Let's just talk about the rich and famous. And everybody wants to become that with their American idols and British idols. You know, it's across the whole planet at the same time, just coincidentally. You know, We used to say that uh, the rich just get access to the big honeypots, which is the cash. That all comes from you through taxation. The corporations get lumps of money long before COVID came along, long before the crash of 2007 and eight. They're always getting big cash grants to tide them over, you know. You don't pay them back. They're just little gifts from the public because they're essential businesses, some of these big businesses, you see. You don't get a little guy, but the big ones do. Just like COVID, I mean, just the big corporations are allowed to stay open. They're big outlets, eh? Quite a coincidental, too, because you find that in the communist writings, from 70 or 80 years ago. They'd have big, you know, just big shops that specialized in their own areas across the world. One for wood products, one for leather products or shoes and things. And maybe one for food. Isn't that coincidental? Just that's all. It's this coincidence, isn't it? The big companies. It's, in, it's coincidence too, you see, because this is the most intelligent virus you've ever, ever heard of. It's, it's, it's got so many human aspects to it, doesn't it, this virus? Have you noticed that not only does it not attack people when they're demonstrating or rioting or looting or burning cities down, it doesn't attack them. Cause they, and they don't bother either wearing masks or, or social distancing or, or staying indoors like everybody else has to stay indoors. But... And your governments know to, they're obviously working with the virus because your government tells the cops to leave these rioters and looters and that alone, you see. 
If you go, went on the streets where lockdowns, you'd be arrested, or a 12 of them would pounce on you. I saw that happening in a little clip in the video. Some guy was in the street in a curfew place in the States, I mentioned it last week, and about 12 of them pounced on him and battered him into the dust. The same cops that would not touch the, the, the Antifa. So how come have they all got packs with this COVID virus or something? When when they can is, is, is the virus too knows that if you enter a restaurant, as long as you sat in the right place, and you took the mask off just to eat the food, and and put it back, it will not attack you. That that's a very congenial human trait. That you know, it's got some sympathy for the starving people. You've never seen a virus like this, obviously. And as soon as the riots now and certainly are over, eh, this is a government parroting the same mantras because they're all getting it from the same source worldwide, including the phrases and sentences to use, in fact. Um, total lockdown again. Oh, it's just rampaging through. But if, if you get tested every day, you might get a little pass. So you could be out in curfew, maybe, if you have the apps on the phone. And all that, and you're a good, good, good citizen. You see, you're doing what you're. We're becoming more and more like the Chinese all the time with our social credit system, which is part of it, folks. It was all tested out in China, including the apps for the for the for the color coding on your your app for your virus. You know, and if you if you be near someone, it will flash red, and you better turn yourself in, or the cops will pick you up, eh? I tell you, technocracy, technical technocracy. And so here it all is, and um, and the folk can't really recognize it, but, but at least it's got a congenial virus that's got some sympathy once in a while, right? For the, the human condition, obviously. Yep. And... Um, <laughs> there was some article in the, in the other day in the paper. It was about some some fellow, a, a father, who got into one of the big stores. And the father had a mask on, but his son has a problem with the mask. I think he had asthma or something. And so the I think the, I don't know what happened, but anyway, they, they said the manager asked him to leave because his son didn't have the mask on, even though he was told he had a problem with, with his breathing. Uh, which tells you that the humans definitely don't have the same sympathy as the COVID does, eh? But anyway, the, the father, you see the father getting arrested by the two cops behind him. Now the cops is wearing a mask. So again, this virus knows who's an authority and is working for the greater good as opposed to that nasty man who had, had a son who, who, who couldn't wear it because of asthma or something. There you go. What can I, I, I have no faith in humanity that won't stand up against, what do you call these characters who sell out their own people for a paycheck like the cops there, doing unspeakable things to, to quite innocent people? These are the same characters that, that souls in each new warned you about when the, when the NKVD and the checker would come in the middle of the night and grab your neighbours and turn out streets to make sure you were terrified as you saw them bundled in and beaten up in the, into the vans and taken away. A terror campaign on the people. He says, that's when you stop it, he says. 
That's when you stop it. He says the neighbors could have stopped and grabbed anything for weapons and just went for them. Right at the very first, that would have stopped it. Instead of having 70 years of horror. <laughs> yeah. But when I saw those, those guys for a paycheck arresting the guy, you know. Never mind the stores. They should be completely boycotted by the general public. But it won't happen because you'll never, and this is what the elite know, you'll never get the general public collectively standing up against anything. That's what they've always known. In fact, with unconventional warfare and psyops, they know they can create divisions amongst the people. And then they know the types they, they actually can turn upon you in the general population. The ones who want to please and have brownie points, they'll turn on you. They, they create these groups, by the way. The, the system you live in is completely alien to what you've been brainwashed with. You've been trained to be good little citizens. Just play yourselves. Don't cause waves. And for a long time you're taught just consume, consume, consume. Until that the global system in place. Now it's time to go into post-consumer society. As you're taught basic necessities and austerities. That's the rule. That's what technocracy is about now. That's what Mr. Schwab's about. You'll own nothing, he says, but you'll be happy. There you are. There's your new masters. Why bother voting when you've got these characters making the rules for you already and your politicians bowing to them and doing it all? Why are you voting? Another thing to mention here is all the laws now about speech and what you can say, what you can't say, right down to what you can think now, eh? And this isn't new in Canada. Canada especially is. is we're, we're progressive, you see. And we're, we're all for everything that comes down the pike. All, all to, save, be, to be nice citizens like China, you see. Social credit systems and scores and go along, be nice and pleasant. Once again, don't talk about negative things. Talk about nice, pleasant things. And, uh, and be good. Be, we'll tell you what good is. And if you, if you can f- get little tick marks for all the good points, then you'll be a good citizen, you see. And, but Canada uh, has had these speech laws and hate laws since about the 90s, I think late 90s. And, uh, and they enforce them all here in Canada. Right? And it starts off with something, for most of it, oh, well, maybe that's okay. You know. But then, as I say, every, every law that goes in the books is meant, is meant and designed to be expanded to get to its real goals. And now you're seeing them all today. You can't even, well, Fauci said it and others have said it too. Don't, don't question the science. You know, little, like little peasant, you don't question the science. Just obey. Just obey. Yeah, leave it to the experts. Again, technocracy, you see. Doesn't matter. And again, they'll t- years in, in, in the future, they'll say, well, you see, here's what happened. And they'll give you their version of, of how we all came into this global society, a post-consumerist society, austerity society. And, and they'll, they'll say then that, that, yeah, the leaders had to use noble lies, noble lies to, to get the public to comply and go along with it. Because they'd never done it otherwise, you see. That's how they do it, you know. And I should admit that once in a while, but the noble lies, after the fact. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, they lie away and tell you that you're wrong for noticing it. 
Oh, you're bad for you're bad for speaking about. It. Did you notice that awful lie they said there? Even when you're 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 reading their own articles from the authorities, eh? the scientific, the authorized scientific authorities, and so many of their own ones have been pulled now because they say we've been misinterpreting what they're saying, even though it's quite plain what they've been saying. What they've been saying that's the reason they pulled it because it doesn't go along with the flow of the agenda. Yeah. Facts don't matter yeah. when there's big agendas at work, but. As I say, uh, there's a war on the go, and so many countries have got all these laws in place under, and starting starting with hate laws. That's how they start them off, and then gender laws and all kinds of laws. But it's meant to be expanded and expanded all the way into a whole new type of human being. Right? Where you'll you'll be compliant and happy. You have little gold stars on your on your on your social credit system, and if and just like China. You have access to public libraries and things, and maybe even better schools. Maybe because that's how bad it's in China. The parents, if they've spoken out or questioned, black mark, and the children can't go to the better schools and so on. This is this is your your real class system, you see, based on compliance and definitely anti-free thought. (laughs) And we are to emulate it all now because it's it's not a fish. Do you realize? How long it would take with propaganda to persuade you to give up all your rights and freedoms for the greater good. Quigley said it. He says it would take you get more done in five years of war time. Is war right? Where you we have taken with all the rights and freedoms of the people. You get more done. He's talking about a social system basis. And five years of war than 50 years of peace and propaganda. So there you go. So this handy virus, this congenial pro-authority virus here, you know, is helping them put that through. And, and, and Mr. Schwab himself has said at the World Economic Forum, he says, this, is, this will help us get the whole agenda through, the climate agenda. So did the Club of Rome say that? So did Justin Trudeau jump on the wagon to get his face in the paper. But many others have said the same. This is an old agenda. And this is the way you get it through. Much faster. Much, much faster. It was instant, wasn't it, really? Instant war. And never in wartime before have they actually collapsed the economy by by order. <laughs> it's all happened without order. They've ordered it all collapse let's collapse the economy. Shut everybody in their homes. Boom. Nothing moves. That's amazing planning, eh? Amazing. So this handy this, one day there'll be a big museum set up for this virus, you know. And you walk through it the beginning, right all through the, to the end, the exit door, of how they brought a whole new system in. This is the most congenial virus they've ever had for the big boy's agenda. Step by step, all the way through it. Yeah. And at the other end, you'll have, you won't have health anymore. I, I remember giving these talks again 20 years ago, wellness, what the wellness, we need this term wellness. This is all, this is all part of this big agenda, you see, wellness. You see, how's your health doing? You know? That was your wellness now. Now, wellness also, according to Schwab, and people long before him, by the way, 
I've said, well, well, wellness is, is your complete self. The holistics, you, you see, it's all, all one. Your mind, body, soul, everything, all, all brought together. I was, and, I, and I remember giving the talks, again, 20 years ago. I says, one day, the techniques they're going to use on you, electronic and otherwise, you know, the technotronic type warfare, I, I says, it was like the movie, that movie that Schwarzenegger was in when he goes to Mars, you know, and, um, and he goes to a place where you get a virtual holiday, you get strapped in a chair, and they inject something in you to get the whole process, and then they put this thing on your head, and a, a kind of Corbin-type helmet idea. And uh, and they could literally give you, you could actually pick the, the, your adventure, to be a spy or an agent or something, and, and a, an adventure. And it all goes wrong because he's he's, he's already been programmed. You see, they didn't, they, the folk who were doing this 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 entertainment thing on him didn't know he'd been programmed already. It's a good story, quite entertaining. But from that, I remember giving a talk and say, you know, what you're going to get is a system in a post-consumer society. See, you're post-industrial, you know, and then they were given consumerism for a while as they expanded the agenda worldwide to keep everybody munching happily in their fields, you see. And now they're taking it away from you step by step across the planet now for the global system. And you need global governance to manage this pandemic. Again, a very congenial virus accolades to this virus and this, this big museum in the, in the future eh, for what it accomplished. See, you didn't need governments. You didn't need all these organizations. All you needed was a, the right kind of virus that was congenial to all your agendas, you see, and it'll accomplish it all. So you enter into a wellness society. And wellness, as I say, 20 years ago, said, they said, I said, you could be, you could be literally standing with a pitchfork mucking out a, a buyer, <laughs> as they call it in Britain, mucking it out, you know, the animal buyer. But in your head, you could be on, on the Mars or on the moon or somewhere, or having an adventure in space, in a virtual world. Be quite happy, you know. Quite happy doing awful work that somebody has to do. And, and paid pittances, because you really don't want your money when you're happy, will you? You could, you could, you could, in your own mind, you think you've got, I've got everything at my fingertips. Everything, yeah. And you'd be a happy, compliant citizen. And you've got a stamp in your head saying, saying Socially approved by the authorities. Bang, quality control. Bang, a little tattoo in your forehead. Eh? And I used to joke about that, but not really jokes. I knew it would come, and it is coming. And and folks still think it must be a joke. No, it's not. <laughs> it's coming, all right. Uh, faster than you think. I remember reading about the the Earth armies that were creating these massive Earth armies. They call them, and the different. When folks started to catch on, a little, a few folk catching on to what they really meant, then then they, they put fake earth armies out to just to, to pull you off and sidetrack you. But really, they, these were the environmental armies eh? and the sustainability armies for human sustainability, which meant depopulation, post-consumerist society, austerity, yep. austerity measures. And that's where you're all going, you see. Austerity. And don't think for a moment that China 
It's going to get preferential treatment out of all. Because the same people that, that created modern China, I mean, the, the elite of China are part of the big global society that runs the world, the big club. And they and their children, their grandchildren, will, will go on for a century. This is how it's planned, and they go on for centuries. But they're in the same thing. That they're not going to keep millions of Chinese around in a society where they don't need them. And eventually they won't need even the human labor. We, we truly are managed like, like animals. You don't frighten animals. You, you be nice to animals and you pat their heads once in a while, you know. But you always maneuver them up to the next step and the next step and the next step. And that's where we're going with it all. And there are those who, who on, on the higher social credit system, who've served the system and served the masters in higher levels of the system. The pyramid, the pyramid symbolizes that. The, the, the pyramid they use in the occult circles, of course, with its multi-leveled um, systems of building. And then the dollar bill in the States is a famous one. Everybody knows that one. Well, it was used long before that too, by the way, thousands of years ago. But and, and the dollar bill they used it, and and it was uh, there's a new secular order, novus order, ordo seclorum. And also, it uh, it shows you all the grass on the bottom of it. It's like brush, and that symbolizes the general population, the unwashed masses, the raw, the raw resources, you might call them. So untamed, and you know, basically the primitives of of Huxley's Brave New World, in a sense too. Then there's all the shaped bricks you see for the for the building, the pyramid, and the tiers of of management going up to the top. And you get up to, towards the top, it naturally gets narrower and narrower, and there's fewer and fewer in each section. They keep the secrets of management of the populace down below. And that's what we're running. That's what runs is, of course, these occult organizations. The public never ever, they, they laugh them off. It's great how you, can be, you can actually be taught to laugh it off and think, oh, it's just conspiracy nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Listen to it. It's quite amazing, too. I mean, I was asked to go on TV shows quite some years back when it was becoming popular to go into conspiracy shows and so on, television shows. And uh, they quiz me, you know, on by phone in advance. And uh, it was an awfully well-known one. I went through some of the of the agenda that was planned. I was giving them facts, you see. And they pretty well said, can you kind of bend the facts a little, you know, go around them? And I says, well, these are the facts. So he says, we know that. I, I wouldn't bend, you see, so that was the last I heard of them. But they, they quiz, nothing spontaneous. Any, anything you see on TV, is, it means it's watered down, diluted, or it's subverted, and, and it's often a different tangent. That's how you, you diffuse something. That's counterintelligence, you see. If you play the game and go along with the world, you, and you've got the abilities and the knowledge, yeah, you'll be well rewarded. You know, and doors will open for you. 
And most folk go along with it. It's the same as the cops I'm talking about that arrested that guy. And other cops too, from all the countless uh, clips you'll see now, with what the cops are up to in different countries. Uh, these folks should be fired immediately. But again, you need the public to all stand and demand it. Because they're supposed to be the public servants, aren't they? Not the masters. And even this, this very talk I gave 20 odd years ago, I said, the public could stop anything if they wanted to, but they never, again, they cannot get them to go along with it all. Can't do it. And that's why the PSYOPs, if you study, again, Department of Defense, PSYOPs, they go into how to divide and conquer the population. And the specific propaganda aimed at the women and different nations. Uh, they, they already have anthropologists and sociologists working with, and psychologists behave, all working with them. I remember giving the talks when they went into Iraq, they had about five or six top um, anthropologists working with them to give them the culture of the people. So you'd know what kind of propaganda. They'd work with the PSYOPs teams for propaganda. And how to manipulate and get them on board with you or create more divisions. And then you would use some of the divisions on your side to fight the other ones. This, this is in the manuals, by the way. Official government manuals, Department of Defense. And that's what you had during the whole time with, with uh, the riots and the demonstrations and burnings in the States. Perfect Department of Defense PSYOP. So I'll get back on what I was saying at the beginning was I'll put up that uh, link to the video with Patrick Wood and uh, James Dellingpole. I haven't seen it all myself because I can, I, my, I, again, if, <laughs> I know PSYOPs is working. I know, I know that the, the big agencies are working too, military types to. Uh, it's in the papers they're attacking people who are speaking out. I've been attacked for years for speaking out about the agenda, long before COVID. But you can actually see, and I've phoned my satellite company so many times when the speed dwindles off into dial-up speed, when there's no cloud in the sky, by the way, you know, and going through the Pharisees of, well, try this and try that, switch off, switch it back on, as they play with you. Rather than tell you you're on a lock, you know. <laughs> You're being choked, as they call it. It's happening all the time. It's the only time as I can see anything uh, for any length of time, even five, ten minutes, is in the middle of the night, literally. And then, of course, that's the only time I'm going to give you speed then, is to train you to stay up all night long. Um, as Bernays said, you know, don't make a better product to suit the people, train the people to suit your product. But yeah, you, you definitely get attacked, there's no doubt about it, and the authorities are showing more and more. Uh, it's like a school fight. This is how the fight started in school. And so you, you get someone who complains about something. Somebody used to punch somebody on, on the... I mean, they used to do that at school. They'd, they'd punch you at the top of the arm in passing, you know, which is a nerve, a nerve point. And you, you get, oh, or they, or they get something like a scarf and they'd flick it, you know, on your skin, boof. And that would start a fight off. And then, of course, the person goes, well, stop doing that. Just like Fight Club, the movie. And then you see it escalating as the chins go out and, and, and the head goes up and, and, and this eyes stare at each other. And there's a system they go through before they really go for each other. 
And that's, a government, that's exactly the same system as, as governments use with psyop warfare and technical warfare upon its own people, you know. And you've got internet warfare, etc. This is what they do a little bit at a time. The governments now are showing they're more resolute, a little bit more resolute as the chin goes out and as they try to train you to simply obey and stop stop bitching about it, you know, stop complaining about it. And uh, a lot of folk buckle under it off the bat in any fight, you know. And that's how they do it. Expecting, they know pretty, pretty well how much of a percentage of the public was back. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll back off. You know. But the people you could change anything if they wanted to. If they wanted to. But you cannot get them to stay together long enough. Unfortunately, all the things that, that glued them together have been purposely destroyed. And again, I gave this talk. So it's like, to me, it's like repetition. It's not just seeing things that are going to happen, which sometimes you can get a darn good whiff, no doubt about it. But also, it's it's repetition. Hell is repetition, isn't it? And it might give you an idea who's running the show. <laughs> but again, years ago, I might given a talk about how you'd be trained and trained and trained into obedience, step by step, and how it'd be done to you as well. And the, the things they would tell you you'd have to do it in order to get your compliance. It's all here. It's all being done now. And it's all, obviously it's been, these are well understood techniques that are very, very old. And knowledge is never lost because knowledge is power. And that's why historians uh, keep track of how to manage populations in all kinds of situations. It's, these are wealths of information for those that rule. It's never lost. But we're going through it today, step by step by step for compliance techniques and behavior compliance for behavior modification. And the United Nations, of course, is not on board with it. And they talked about how they would train the people to self-police. Well, this is before you heard the term hate law or hate speeches or anything to do with that. Because hate now is, is now expanded to cover a whole variety of things. And in fact, it's, it's hateful, you see, talk out against COVID. Unless one of the, the authorities that are authorized to speak about it. It's hateful. You're an enemy of society, you know. You're dangerous to society. You're an enemy of the people. This is straight off of the Bolshevik Revolution. That's what they did when they took over initially. Enemy of the state. What are you thinking about? Oh, you're an enemy of the state. Are you authorized to say that? To think that? Nope. To the wall. Yeah. That's how it was done. You're seeing terrible symptoms of the same kind of uh, attitude. Because it's always the same steps they go through. As they push and they up the ante a little bit more. Up the ante, up the ante. To see if the kickback's going to come. Or they'll back off a little bit if they, if they sense... Uh, through all their studies, instantaneous and real-time studies, through all their algorithms, what the public are chatting about, what they're angry about, they might back off a little bit here and give it a few days more or a week more and then push again, you see. This is like this is a schoolyard fight for dominance by the bully. And that's what you're going through right now. All of these things. And you're self-policing. Maybe I shouldn't say that or think that. Maybe Maybe they're right. Maybe I'm bad for, for society if I say these things. 
is that will make you unsure of yourself. That's psychological warfare, you see. Self-policing. Things you would normally do or say in normal everyday life. That no harm in it at all. Not, it's now forbidden. You say, is yourself, or maybe I'll shut up and not say that. Maybe someday I'll get offended. Maybe, maybe if I say I cannot breathe with this mask on, somebody will get offended if I mention it. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll, they'll come down and clamp it down. Maybe they'll tape it on my face because I'd be an enemy of the people. I'd be dangerous to them if I took it off to try to breathe. Or maybe I should just suffocate quietly. Then I might be a good citizen with a good, a good social score in my credit system, social credit system. Massive psychological warfare. And I get lots and lots and lots of emails from folk who are really suffering, who've lost businesses, family split ups, all that kind of stuff. But again, through finances, all going to, to pop because of all. Folk locked in, they're, they're terrified to go out of their homes in case they catch something. Other ones terrified to go out of their homes in case they get pounced on by authorities. Because I've seen all these little clips of the cops beating up people. It's just horrible, you know. Folk who, who at night now, in the lockdowns in parts of Britain and elsewhere, or in the States, are terrified. If they get sick, should they try and go out or, or take the person in their home to the hospital after curfew and get caught with the cops and get beaten up or killed? Huh? Think about it. It's a dangerous times, and folk are sensing it. But then again, they didn't care previously with all the folk, and we've had plenty of the top professionals coming out, doctors and, and surgeons and specialists in all kind of medical fields, uh, talking about the, the countless people who have died because they couldn't get into a hospital with the previous ones in the spring. As they shut the hospitals pretty well down, I stopped all elective surgery and, and emergency surgeries and, and folk die in agony in their homes. That's horrible. That tells you the system. We're all expendable to get, the, to get this agenda through. That's what it's telling you, folks. We're written off. You know. I used to wonder years and years ago, I think it was back in the 90s, when, when so many of the big changes, were, that's, that was when all the, all the bad smells were coming out. Bad smells. And folks were saying, what's going on, you know? Again, you had the police changing their uniforms into the combat black gear. You know, the color of the executioner. That's what you used that color for. Yeah, you had the anti-terrorist bill put through, which was a, 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 a combined omnibus bill put by Alan Rock in Canada, late 90s, before 9-11 happened, which was suspend your rights and lock people up indefinitely without trial, all that stuff, you know. And at that time, at least the, the, the journalists were saying, what on earth is this? This is, is anti-terrorism bill, you know, martial law type thing. What was coming down the pipe? But all these different smells and whiffs of things to come. And whiffs of, of the, the, again, they were testing the waters, I think, as well. Never getting the people acclimated to the to the combat gear and the cops and the changes and all the rest of that stuff, all in advance of what was to come. But training the public, constant training the public, 
into compliance was part of it too. What do you think? What do you say? And so on, you know. And and again, even it, it was it was the hate laws. I thought, where are they going to take these hate laws? You know. And a judge was trying someone. The, a couple of guys that mugged somebody for a wallet. For the first time, I'd read it in the newspaper. Said, he said to them, "What were you thinking when you when you when you we know you robbed the person and." What were you thinking when you were robbing them? It was, it was trying to find out if it, uh, it was a racial crime. But most people who are junkies don't care. They don't care who they rob. You know, you don't, you know. They're desperate. But the, this is where it ends up going into, what were you thinking when you when you did that? Now, now it's, what were you thinking when you said that? And it's, what were you thinking when you thought it? <laughs> <laughs> That's where it's coming down to, and it's all kinds of things have added on to it as well. That's when they first brought out the term in the nineties as well, anti-government. That's a, that's a term they used to use in the Soviet Union. Anti-government, and it was during the Bush reign they started bringing it out more and more in, in, in the states and Canada. Anti-government. So if you questioned anything about government, what they were up to, or the, the, the undue use of military force inside the U.S. on a few instances, you're anti, anybody who, who protested for the government was, was anti-government. No, you weren't protesting the event. No, obviously you're anti-government. <laughs> See how they change it? It's like, say, if someone doesn't want a vaccination, a vaccination, they're not called anti-vaxxers, like smeared, but all vaccinations. See, that's how they do it. This is psychological warfare. That's what it is. Pure psychology. And they smear everybody that doesn't go along with it. That's, again, psychological warfare. It isn't just the 77th Brigade in Britain they got, they got brigades in states and Canada Canada's working with the states and CIA all the time In the 90s too, as I've mentioned before And then uh, they expanded it in 2001 They, they, they opened up bases Like, like, like offices in throughout Canada for the FBI and said, what's, going, what's coming along the pike here with these bad smells? What is, what's going on here? And people would be anti-government, not just anti-something that government had done. No, suddenly you're going to be anti-government for complaining about anything the government done had done. That's how it's. That's how. That's what's going on here. Massive psychological warfare against its own people. I've always said we pay for our chains. We pay it all. We pay the. We pay the salaries of these, these you know, cyber warfare. Organizations that are being used against us We pay for all And the psychological war And all the, the incredible mayhem that creates too We pay for all that as well And you want to vote for these governments We're all Pavlov's dogs Do you understand that? We're all Pavlov's dogs that, that that evil character Pavlov that Eleanor Roosevelt loved. She went over to see him. <laughs> she thought it was the greatest thing to humanity. 
the greatest thing since sliced bread, as they say. He was a genius of a man who could modify the behavior of people. You, you, said, you think he just wanted to train the dogs in a different way? You know? Of course he didn't. He was trying to find out if humans would react to this. And they didn't just use dogs, by the way, oh, in the Soviet Union. But, I mean, see, you're all dogs. You've, you've been trained to be fearful, you know. Before that, just take your little, your little bubble of a world, eh? you personally, and your Pavlov's dog. And so, yeah, I can go to the pub and I can have a drink, and I can go here and I can do that, and I can go to the store and I can, I can meet friends and, eh? a little bubble. But then Pavlov says, okay, um, let's watch what he does now. And you have to do your usual routine. I'll go and see so-and-so tonight. And bingo, as soon as you step near this particular person's home or whatever it is where you meet your buddies, you get an electric shock. And down you go. And then you get up, well, what on earth happened there? You're still confused in the whole thing, and you stagger back across that like bzz, 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 down you go again. Eh? And then you go back home, and you're, and you're really still confused. You say, "Well, well what's going on here?" You know. And then, as you get up off your feet from from, from staggering, the cops jump on you and start beating you up and beating you up and beating you up. So you associate getting beaten up and shocked with not not to be where you are. See, at that, at that person's house outside. The, so you go home, and you say, I'm not going to go back there again. So a few weeks go by, and you, I'll, I'll go, to, I'll go to, to, to Richard's house, right? And so you go to Richard's house, and it's fine, you know, and you back and forth, back and forth, and you go to other pals' houses, but except that one house where you got is at, right? Then one day you go to Richard's house, and, and you get near the door, and Bzzz, down you go again, right? And then the cops jump on you, they beat, the, beat you and beat you, you see? And then you go back, oh, I'm not going to Richard's house either, right? So Joe's out and Richard's out, so. And, and step by step, then, then, then for a while it's fine. All the rest of them are fine for a while, right? Until, the, until, yeah, until you get zapped of every one of them and beaten up. Until you... And then the cops say, you won't beat you up if you go there. And they point you to where you go, and it's, it's, it's one little dingy bar somewhere. And say, okay, I'll go there then. Right? And so you go there, and you're complying with the cops. And it's fine for a year or so. Then one night you go in, go in the bar, and then bzzz, you get zapped there as well. And then you have a complete nervous collapse and nervous breakdown like the dogs did. Because now you're, you're being... Everything that they want you to do, and even then it's not satisfied, you still get punished. So your, your mind collapses. That's all happening to you, folks. Intense, never-ending psychological warfare. Including the use, use of the media to terrify you. Not just with the COVID stories, but with the reaction of the police in different countries to the general public is meant to terrify you into compliance. And you can't please them because they've just started with their demands. You're supposed to come out of this like like a, a remade you know, person, a person who's been through MK Ultra with a mind wipe, <laughs> a memory wipe, the whole lot, poof, 
remade in your master's image, Mr. Mr. Schwab. You know? Obedient, post-consumerist, living in utter austerity. And as he says, you'll own nothing, but you'll be happy. Woof, woof. Now, as mentioned here, again, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Remember, you can buy books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And you can donate to me through PayPal. You can send personal checks. In some countries, you can still get international postal money orders from your post office to Canada. Not from the States, so they'll stop that. And uh, MoneyGram and other ways, too, to get the cash to me. So let me know. And keep in touch with me. And um, keep me ticking along here, because... We're going through incredible times. And I have to admit, there's very few legitimate groups out there now, you know. In psychological warfare, and in psyop, uh, psyops that are combined with uh, information technologies, and unconventional warfare, that's what they do. They, they literally uh, give you lots of people that would speak for you. <laughs> they make sure they, they can eventually give you your leaders. It's not new. I get an example used to be given by the communists, and they give examples many years ago about the communists, and it'd be often a, a, a lady would come in, a woman would come in, and volunteer to help with a local group of whatever the organization was. It didn't have to even be political or seem to be political, but something that had lots of members. And they'd come in, and they're off time, and, and eventually they would volunteer more than anybody. Oh, don't worry, I'll stay all night and fix all these books and everything for you and so on, and, and get everything ship-shape, etc. And before you know it, uh, when it came time to elect a leader, they'd all elect that person. So now you had a, a communist leading the, the group. Happened in labor unions, it happened across the board. Standard techniques. Well, now, of course, your own governments use it all, quite naturally. And they use it with psychological warfare and unconventional warfare techniques against their own people. And I've always said it, when the biggest part, or part of the intelligence operation is counterintelligence. It's as old as the hills. It's as old as Plato talking about it in, in ancient Greece, you know, and Athens. And you, you don't allow grassroots operations just to come out of nowhere and do their own thing unless you create them. If you create them, it's because the elite authorized them to be created because it's going to serve the purpose of the elite. And you know if you're bringing up, for instance, austerity upon the people is an example. You would want to make sure that because you know darn well there's going to be a lot of little groups that will start off with, off with a few pennies here and there and get websites going. And they, they might get angry and invent frustration about what government's doing and pushing into austerity. So what you do is you, you create organizations that, that first come off out speaking against it all, you see. And you'll give them fantastic um, credentials sometimes. Great things to get people on board. Well, the person must be genuine because they arrested them once or twice, you know, stuff like that. This is, this is standard stuff, by the way, from textbooks. Eh? And they get people to accept them. 
And then next thing you know, they become the leaders. They're well funded, and then they go, they go along with the agendas, and and then they'll swerve you off into a different direction. You think you're head, all heading towards the same goal. You, you, the road you're on starts to go off in a different tangent, and that's counterintelligence. That's how it's done. Lots of them came out in the nineties. Folk have no idea of the intense warfare that was really going on in the social spheres because they were getting preparing for all the big changes they bring in in the 20s, the 21st century. Preparing for it and testing some of it out and then studying the reactions of the people and so on. And uh, yeah, a lot of them were invented back then, their personalities and their, and their personas and their roles. And they'd even have them churning out books sometimes, ghostwritten. But little collecting all the, the, the other so-called patriot or alternate movement books, they'd, they'd take chapters out of them and put them straight into their own books. And it could, no one could take them to court for it. Because nobody would, would go along with the court case. Nobody, nobody, absolutely none. Which tells you it was intelligence agencies behind it. But they would just take whole chapters of people's books on the Federal Reserve or scams like that, you know. The money system. And they're straight into it. And then add little bits, little sentences here and there. That's all they would have to do. And then they became the local here. So they became the ones that, that you, you would hear about. They were elevated into prominence, and their books get published across the world. That, that is a lot of management and money. <laughs> but you get little clues here and there of what's going on, and other ones that were struggling and genuine. Um, we're even getting that the advertisers threatened to get off, or else uh, uh, you know, the advertisers would. Um, they were, the advertisers were told not to work with them anymore. I know this for a fact. Or, they, or they, some, something bad would happen to the advertisers, so they they go straight to advertisers and stop their income to their little, little groups or radio stations or whatever, and they go under. This this literally happened. You have no idea the intense warfare that was going on behind the scenes. And some of them some of them definitely got bought off too. Other ones got bought off, no doubt about it. Absolutely, and financial aid from government agencies to get rid of certain peoples as well. Intense warfare was going on. And there's no point really bitching about it, so I don't complain about these things because people would say, ah, oh, sorry, great. No, it's not. This is just what happened. It doesn't bother me. That's, that's what warfare was all about. What do you think warfare is all about? Do you think it's democratic warfare? There's some kind of gentleman's agreement somewhere. <laughs> Fools... You have no idea that cyber war and psychological war is just as intense and ruthless as physical battlefield war. It is a battlefield. And it's, as I've said before, when government, as is in the papers last week and the week before, governments in the States and, and Britain and Canada are using these teams against their own. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing to stage to get to. You've brought the military, your own military on board to attack your own people. Dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous. These folk are ruthless. They're meant to be ruthless. That's what military's about. <laughs> you don't use them on your own people. 
So as I say, you know, help me take along. Hopefully, and I can maybe, maybe keep on going. As we go through these, like, probably in your own lifetimes, will be the greatest change. I mean, the greatest, I mean, the biggest change. It's the greatest change in, in your life's history. Because what's happening now is going to dictate how it's going to be for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Now, a lot of folk already are, are can you believe it? They're already saying, well, you know, well, Trump might try with the next election and. And I was wait four years or so, and every four years that passes is is gone forever, because the the changes they bring in in those four years are here to stay. And the folk literally will, you know, are going to go along with the, with the farce of a front man called Biden. And Kamala Harris. And I think the intention really is to put her in. He's, he's just like the launching pad, I think, really. Because the, the big characters at the top want this to happen this way. They planned it this way. Anyway, again, send a few bucks my way, etc. And we'll see what we can do and keep on going. And we go into a few articles here. And I might, as I say, touch on some of the cyber warfare this going on and the psychological warfare that goes along with it, an unconventional war. Now we know they're going to get their way one way or another. Because again, they're resolute, that word resolute. They've all sworn to the agenda. They might understand it themselves, all different officials and different capacities, but they'll swear it to the agenda because that's how they got on board with everything and got their Positions in the first place is working their way up and it's a faith-based system. They do what they're told and that's why they're, they're good little lackeys for those who rule the world. And they're going to get their um, vaccines through regardless. I've said that at the very beginning. Nothing's going to change. It's chiseled in stone. The facts don't matter about the whole, the whole fiasco. It's for a, a, a new type of system, a new kind of, uh, a monitored, again, China-type system. Everyone's monitored, numbered, and so on. And, uh, and uniform, uniformity is very important, of course. That's why the governments have been studying you for your whole life. And since the 1990, well, last 20 years especially, more intensely, in real time by all your different social programs that are part of the intelligence systems. And of course they are. It, 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 they, they, they create the systems that they own and they put their front people in charge of them. It take, again, it's just like politicians and you can throw the tomatoes at them. That's, that's their job is to be splattered with tomatoes as you get angry. But no doubt about it, uh, the, the vaccines to come and all the different ways to get you to coerce you into it are, are being tried. Ankle bracelets, testing on board sewage for coronavirus and no boarding without a vaccine. It says Qantas CEO Alan Joyce reveals the very strict rules that Aussies will have to follow just to fly overseas. Well, they should find other ways of traveling, perhaps, you know. That's the only way you can hit anything at all. Is just don't don't go don't don't use their systems if you can. 
And it's a, it's a pity that they've, they've demolished all the store, all the competition that they said they would do, get rid of all small businesses, uh, even for food. Now you've got this big, the big ones only, the big standard names, or the big club, the big club zone, these, these um, big food agencies and so on, corporations. Same with uh, the airlines too, but here you go. It's, I'd find another way to travel if possible. Uh, even personally, even if you say all the, all the rest of them will, will comply, well, so what? You've you got to be true to yourself before you can be true to anything else. It isn't just all, all or nothing if we all do. You know, this war is, is individualistic, folks. And if there's enough individuals who do it, yeah, then you can say, well, I've got a bit of power now, but it's all individualistic, you know. So, it's, uh, again, don't forget, too, under, under a quarantine system, it's just the same as the agenda for the 21st century, where they're trying to stop the, uh, non-essential flying. That was on, on, on it, too. They came up with all the different articles. Oh, you know, flying is causing pollution in the, the sky, too, you know. Any excuse using the climate, of course, to, to stop you from traveling. It's the first thing they do is, for, for the agenda for the 21st century, they want you to live in your own community. And it was called communitarianism. I gave these talks years ago, communitarianism, from their own articles. It's all here, and it certainly will be here very shortly, and you'll all be part of your community, and you better turn up at all the different, uh, uh, different parades for the right kind of things, and for celebrations of the right kind of things, and so on, or they want to know why you didn't turn up. That's what you had in Orwell's 1984 as well. You know, you had to attend these different parades that they'd have where they'd parade captured prisoners and so on, and you'd have to boo and scream at them to show that you were part of your system, you see, on board with all. It says, that's what it says, the Australians will have to comply with strict new rules when international flights finally return to the skies post-coronavirus. Qantas boss Alan Joyce has warned. Well, I'll tell Alan Joyce to go and take his company to you know where. From ankle bracelets to DNA tests. Don't your DNA test? What do you think the swabbing's about, folks? He's just to test for little bits and pieces of viruses so they can multiply them so many cycles then say, well, there could be a virus there. I think it's just about that. There's the same swab test to do for your DNA, eh? Inside the cheeks, back of the throat, wherever, inside this. It's all your DNA, folks. So DNA tests, sewage testing on planes, and mandatory vaccinations. Overseas travel will never be the same again. Well, stuff it then. Stuff it. There you go. So Mr. Joyce revealed to his airline will overhaul its terms and conditions for travel where coronavirus vaccination will be a compulsory requirement for passengers heading abroad, which could be as early as next year. Yep. There you go. There you go. So that's it there. It's permanent, folks. And um, it's just astonishing. This this virus has meant so many things to, to so many globalists, you know. It's a very compliant virus. It's on board. It must be a high member, this, this virus of the, of the world-dominant globalist society. Don't you think so? But they won't even test sewage for it. There you go. Eh? Great money. I guess that's only work they'll ever be now is, is money and you know what. Eh? Also, tighter tier restrictions could spell the end of the traditional British pub. Again, 
to me, it's it's like it's like Groundhog Day, you know. When I give talks about the pubs in Britain, or the places where everybody met to talk, for centuries that's how it had been at the a public house they were called, you know, as the pub comes from, and they go there and chat. And you again in Britain, you see the publican, you see a license to to, to sell the booze. Because booze is a big, big taxable thing for the governments, and they make a lot of money at it. And, and their pals who own the, the brewery comp- companies and the distilleries, very selective, you know, high fees to, to get the license, and not everybody gets them. So it's only the right kind of people that traditionally make booze can make the booze and make the money off it. But the pub was awfully important because that's where all the chatting took place. You meet people, and, and the townsfolk or village people, uh, and, and city people, but towns especially, uh, you'd find about, do you know the council's thinking about doing this and doing this? They'd say, oh, no, I wouldn't like that. And, and you could protest it and say, no way. And, and you could, so you could head off nasty things at the pass, you know, and things like that. Um, e- even school changes and curriculums, that, that's where the guys would, would feed about in the pubs, you know, a teacher, to, some, my wife's a teacher, some guy would say, and you wouldn't believe what they're going to start teaching, oh really, and, and the people get angry, because at one time they had families, and they, they kind of, that's one thing they did, where they did stand together, families had a lot in common with other families, you see, so it was a natural uh, focus for power. To be, to be played out on behalf of the public was through the family units that we combined together against certain things. The very thing that H.G. Wheeler sells would have to be destroyed. <laughs> you want to destroy the family unit, like they all do, of course. Because um, if, you, if, you all, if, if most families back then, mind you, had children, right? So you had a, a man, a woman, and children. Uh, and therefore, you, you had the same interests pretty well. Income, work, um, schooling, that kind of stuff. And so they'd stand together. Very powerful institution was the family. And so it had to be destroyed. Communism said destruction of the family unit, Marxism. And so did uh, British Socialism. So did Freemasonry, by the way, Albert Pike. End of the family unit and uh, and private property, Agenda 21, same thing. Just coincidence, that, though, isn't it? So anyway, tighter tier restrictions. So the, the British pubs got in for it now. Well, that's a place where the people met. And I remember giving a talk, so I said, you know, it wasn't until maybe about the, the, the 80s, the, the late 70s and 80s, that, that suddenly they started to put television sets in all the bars in Britain. Now, you went, you went to a bar to get away from TV and radio, and you see, and to hear what other guys were having had to say. That's, that's Johnny, what you went for. It was a place. That's, that was the, the meeting place for people. And you'd hear all kinds of points of view. That's the wonderful thing about it, too. When people used to think for themselves, you get lots of points of view in the same topics, but a variety of them. And that was a great thing to have. Uh, and, but once the TV came in, suddenly, it was, it, it, and people tried to, to shout over the TV sets. Mainly, it was mainly sports, for goodness sake. Promoted from the top, right? And by that time, so many of the pubs in Britain belonged to, like, chains, Chains, big corporate chains. So the government again wanted to end people talking about it's a nuisance when folk talk about things, find out what government's up to, and and, and interfere. Isn't it? It's a nuisance that for those who rule you. And so they'd, they'd pay 
these big chains or give them tax breaks if they'd if start putting TV sets and all that. Until literally, you couldn't find a pub pretty well where, where you'd walk in and there's this racket going on of screaming and yelling people. You couldn't tell who, who cared what team was playing who. Really, I had no interest at all. I knew what it was all about, you see. But it was, it was to stop people talking. And you, eventually you get fed up yelling at people, you just gave up. Because you try to yell to be heard or, or to hear them. It was just too too uh, frustrating, and and and, um, and it worked wonders for stopping uh, chat. You see, at one time too, it was so important. By the way, you know that, that governments also used the publicans in rural areas and towns and villages, uh, almost like spies, because they get all the gossip of what the people were up to, what they're thinking about, and so on, and uh, so they could use them against the people again. Hey. Nothing's there for what you think it is, is what I'm saying to you. Even if it, even if some of them start off there for you, uh, they get brought over rather quickly and brought on board to, to work for the authorities. To get in, then they get little breaks as well, you see. That's how it works. Nothing's ever as it really, really seems. So here's tighter tea restrictions, as I say. And it says here, hospitality is facing another huge blow with the leaks about the new... Uh, tier restrictions are correct and, and industry experts, again experts eh? Our local politicians have said it could spell The end of traditional pubs Of course that's what it's meant to do And England is due to leave national lockdown December 2nd, nonsense, we'll keep it locked down And we'll enter back into a three tier system Of coronavirus rules and measures It's just prison isn't it It's like lockdowns in prison That's what it is eh? That's what you use. It's, all, it's all lockdowns in prison we are allowed to move to and where you can go along this corridor, not along that corridor, and so on. Maybe an exercise yard. You can't even do that now unless you have a reason for being there apart from exercise. But compared to the system introduced in October, the new tiers are expected to be much tougher, particularly for pubs and restaurants. It could mean that the areas placed in a tier three restrictions and with infection rates still above national. Just stop testing then, they'll plummet. So that could very well include Greater Manchester. They'll have to keep all hospitality venues closed. Maybe if you've got the right kind of variety or strain of this coronavirus, it'll allow you to drink, you know, as long as you just pull the face mask down for it each sip and then back up again. Or maybe someday, I was thinking, how come no one's invented a straw yet that'll fix on your face mask, eh? And we could all learn sign language to talk to each other. You, you know, and you see it, and you've seen it in stores, that the people that are serving you, sometimes pull the mask in, because they know you can't hear them, and they can't hear you. It's all muffled. <laughs> you can't read the lips, you see. So maybe you should all learn sign language as well. And have little straws there. And I guess you could still blare the television in the background there, and then it's, yeah, you, well, you shoot, see scores, blah, 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 yeah. And, and you're sitting there dead quiet and, and sign languaging that person there with your hands and stuff and sipping your beer through a straw, through the face mask. There you go. There you go. How is that? I'm sure somebody will come along with it eventually. As long as the authorities are the experts, so the experts approve it and say, oh, that's okay, that'll stop the, you know. Maybe you could even have an ultraviolet. I'm really getting carried away here. A lot of my ideas get picked up over the years, I can tell you. <laughs> so you get a little face mask, one, as I say, with a straw through it, right? And a one way valve, so when you pull it out, it closes. You see, it closes the valve, and it's perfectly safe. And then at the other end of your beer, you put it in the beer, 
Of course, you could have a, a, a bottle and you could have a little filter from the bottle so as the air comes in as you're sucking out the, the booze, uh, then uh, air can come in through a filter and it would filter out the viruses. Or if you really get the deluxe model, you could get one where it's, uh, it'll have an ultraviolet bulb in there, battery driven, because you don't want all mains or you get electrocuted maybe. So you get a battery one and it'll, it'll kill off any viruses as it comes through. So you can really go high tech with that. And you could have a, a classier type of booze place to get to get drunk in, because in uh, yeah, the better bar you, you'd have the electronic devices or you see the electronic filters and everything else for your booze, and you'd all be sitting signing each other, you know. And how about that? And com- good citizens, eh? Good compliant citizens. The governments would love that. They really would, and the behaviours would all nice. It's working. That's what's wonderful. They'd love that too. So there you go. Scotland, I really, it's like Scotland and Ireland is just astonishing. I mean, with the histories that countries have had, you know, and it's so socialistic, you know. People don't know the histories of it, but really, uh, there there were always problems. There were always problems to the English crown, you know, mainly because it didn't like getting dominated that may have had something to do with it, but once they got their, they think they got their freedom, it was another big joke too. They had their, their national movements and end up being communistic. That was part of the communist strategy, by the way. You start off with, in a country and you give it wars of national liberation, that's what they called it. And it was programmed to, to, to make them fight against existing authorities or rulers. And then they say, okay, we've got our independence now. And then you introduce the socialistic, communistic ideas until it's communist. That was, that was this, that's from the handbook of communism, eh? how you do it all. So Scotland really thought it became free. And I've no idea that uh, all the leaders that they supplied you with were pretty well working for the big global system. So as soon as you end up in being free, as they think, They've got mass migration, any tiny countries, really. Mass migration. Uh, and then lots of them go, go into Parliament that are wealthy, you see. They're, or they're brought in, because they're, they're not from Scotland, they're brought into to Parliament circles and civil service. And they immediately want to demand you know, that they, it's basically unlimited immigration. Well, how can you have a country anymore if, if it's not yours? Uh, it's got nothing in common eventually. In one generation, you can have nothing in common with what it stood for, <laughs> nothing at all. So it's it's a complete bogus uh, freedom, obviously. Ireland, too, even in, in its initial rebellion, well, in the 20th century rebellion, was run by the official IRA, and it was a, it was a menagerie of different groups, a kind of collage system, you might call it. With But they all had this idea of freedom and independence, but also the official IRA uh, were communistic, a lot more communist leaders. So that had a lot to do with what happened, the way they ended up bringing in the system. A lot of them didn't realize it. You don't, you don't have to use the term communism, you know, to be communist. You just need to see what all the signs and symptoms of it, and you are. If it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck. So unfortunately, they've been ruled for a long time now by a system that brought them under the, the, the yoke of the EU, a bigger, a bigger dominant factor as opposed to London. And 
and they think that they're free, and then they end up getting Ireland especially got soaked, mind you, with the two seven eight collapse. Because before that, they'd been encouraged by the World Bank to borrow, 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 and they did. And then when they collapsed it all, then in came the IMF and says, this is how you're going to pay us back. And they pretty well own them now. They, they own all their policies. When the IMF comes in, they decide how much you're going to spend on the people. And that, that your own tax money, how much is going to be spent on your own people or health care or anything else. Folk don't realize that when Margaret, Th- Margaret Thatcher was in, in Britain, England, the IMF ran the show for a while. And she was taking a lot of stick for, for, for uh, austerity measures, but basically the IMF was deciding a lot of the policies. It's repayment terms, you understand. That's what runs everything, yeah? So anyway, yeah, it's a sad thing that Scotland's the first country in the world to pass landmark legislation <laughs> offering free period products to anyone who needs some. This is from the Mail Online. I've also got another article from from a, a, a newspaper in India. And India's awfully good at noticing what's happening across the world. And sometimes more open about because they don't have the same guilt about saying things. They haven't been trained yet to, to, to not say different things, so they're quite open about. So it's interesting to read uh, different articles from India, you know. And, and, and in fact, you'll find some of the, the journalists in India have the, the old type of... of Journalism, the approach to journalism as being true and, and, and to get to the bottom of things. And they don't have to be so politicized and be awfully nice about everything. They can be straightforward. And that's how journalism really should have been. Used, used to be, actually. Now it's completely bought and paid for in the West by those that own it all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Scotland, this is something vying for the vote again, for to, for re-voting for independence for Scotland, eh? So the aim for the women first, I think they've already got um, daycare and stuff like that are free. And it's the first thing generally they all get. And then, then you go for step by step. You buy people off, eh? And uh, so it's going to make sanitary products available to everyone. What do you mean everyone? <laughs> do you see what's worded to you? <laughs> Who wants them all? <laughs> and the bill was brought forward by Labour Health spokeswoman Monica Lennon. I don't know if she changed her name or what, but but she this is, it goes by Monica Lennon. She might be telling it herself, I don't know. But uh, it says the members of the Scottish Parliament are working to tackle period poverty. Period poverty. Yeah. She, that's what she's worked for since she was elected in 2016. Make things free, eh? And, uh, so there you go. It's um, rather than say, we, 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 why are women so poor in Scotland? Rather than tackle the, the real problems, eh? And why are the rest of the people poor in Scotland? Why not deal for people as people, not genders and so on, eh? And why poverty is not just a gender thing, yeah? Affects men, women, and children. But this is how they waylay you. With this kind of uh, publicity kind of thing, you see. Uh, there you go. But I remember the socialist governments, and even Canada did it too, through the, the conservative government was at the time, was pushing uh, this. When you see the same agendas through different parties, you know that's what it is. It's an agenda. You're under tyranny, as Jefferson said. You're under somebody's agenda. <laughs> because you, the, 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 nothing uh, halts. Trump was the first time I've seen on skipping a beat. 
joint, it makes no difference what parties and the same pre-planned agendas go forth, you see. So there you go. But yeah, let's not track, let's not tackle the poverty, etc., etc. Nothing's free when taxpayers have to pay for it. We don't, but it's free. There you go. There you go. Mm-mm-mm. Another article here is to do with uh, uh, the, Can I stay overnight with family in Tier 2 or Tier 3 this Christmas? Right? Says Christmas is just around the corner, but anxious Britons have been waiting for information how they can see loved ones. You're waiting for information to see if you can see your loved ones. Do you understand what's going on here? During the ongoing pandemic. <laughs> but can I stay overnight with family in Tier 2 or Tier 3 this Christmas? Can you believe this stuff? Are they going to start publishing manuals, like prison manuals, for the prisoners here? Huh? It says, um, A's across the UK will be placed into either Tier 1, Tier 2, or Tier 3, depending on the coronavirus cases and other criteria. Then the name Middleborough, uh, Newcastle and Yorkshire and Humber are amongst those back under Tier 3 status. You can check with your tier, which tier your area is in using the government's postcode checker here. I'll give you a link to it as well. However, Britons will have a break from the stringent rules over the festive period in a so-called Christmas bubble. It has been revealed, isn't that one? Your wardens are giving you a Christmas bubble. Oh. From some December 23rd to December 27th, three households will be able to meet indoors with Mr. Johnson calling on families to make a personal judgment about the risk of coronavirus to vulnerable loved ones when forming a Christmas bubble. <sighs> wow. What drama, eh? Can I hug my grandparents at Christmas, it says. Mm. So anyway, it goes on about um, the winter plan, and they give you a breakdown into two and threes and all the rest of it. And I think one of them, you have to roll up your trouser leg and bare your breast, you know, just like Freemasonry. Hop on one leg, maybe. And only on a Thursday, but not on a, not on a Wednesday. And so it's awfully important you follow these these very important rules, you know. Yeah. As you get trained and trained into further absurdities. Really. You understand the countries that aren't doing the lockdowns are better off than anybody else. Their economies haven't collapsed. The death rates aren't higher. For winter deaths. <laughs> I say winter deaths, like because that's flu, it's everything, you know. Pneumonias happens every winter, etc., etc. They aren't up anyway, but that doesn't matter. You see, it's your countries that have been deemed excess consumerists. Remember all those years? The worst country in the world for cons- consumption is America, the US, uh, and Britain, and so on. Yeah. Well, now you're getting taught. By this very handy virus. Just forget those countries that don't have these lockdowns. And they are doing fine, like Sweden and so on. Switzerland too, apparently, didn't have the severe lockdowns either. Doesn't matter though. You must, because you're bad. 
There you go. And uh, another one, level three of the plan for living with COVID-19. Living with COVID-19, explained in this article here is from the Irish paper. And I'll put this one up as well for those that want to, to look it up and see what to do and how you can learn to live with COVID-19. Isn't that nice? Right? It's like trying to live with the bombs and the blitz. This is the keep the home fires burning and all that stuff, you know, all that nonsense. Yeah, learn to live with it and make the be- put the best face of- on and step forward. There you go. So, also in the in the Sun, the newspaper, and there's more articles here on the furious 20 million Brits are forced into tier 3 measures despite the R rate falling below zero. <gasps> the R rate, we're letting a whole vocabulary here now. Eh? They're going to give a, a dictionary for COVID shortly, you know, because it'll be a lifelong dictionary, you see, a, a rule book. You've got to get trained here, for goodness sake. More than 20 million Brits are being forced into the harshest tier lockdowns, tier 3. Despite falling COVID rates in their areas, well, don't let facts get in the way of agendas, for goodness sake here. And uh, it says, a staggering 20 million Brits forced into it, blah, blah, blah. And 61% of the population are now worse off after being shifted into a higher tier. Well, who saw that coming, eh? Wow. <sighs> 55 million Brits are now in tiers 2 and 3 with tougher restrictions than last time. Well, they said that's what they'd give you. The spring was just a training exercise, people. Complete training exercise. Comes after PM Boris Johnson ramped up restrictions despite data suggesting that our rate is now below 1, meaning the bug has been kicked into reverse. Well, again, these, these facts become an awful nuisance. Interfere with planning and things, you know. Terrible. And, and this Boris Johnson, what a joke he is, eh? You know darn well he's been given his marching orders. He's, he's got the whole Brexit thing on stall as well, eh? Because, you see, the real deep state didn't want any Britain pulling out of that one either. No way. Mm-mm-mm. Uh, you know, you would speak volumes on just the free trade agreements, the, the creating of centralized control systems like the EU Parliament, and one for the Americas, one for the Pacific Rim region, and so on and so on. Uh, you, you, you do volumes of that kind of material. By the, all from the same organization that's running this. Same organization. And they don't like Brexit, goodness me. Mm-mm-mm. I was going to just say, read their next part, and I thought about Karl Marx. And why do you think he was put up in London? They put him up in London. A revolutionary, supposedly going to overthrow all governments and royalty and all the rest of it. Do you really, do you really believe that they, they allowed him to get into the, to the National Library there in London? Access to all the all the very expensive reference books and so on. Of course they loved them, because the same organization that said, we don't mind if they're communists or fascists or, or dictators, like Carl Quigley said, they're all welcome. Does it start to make sense to you? 
And what was Karl Marx's main thing? Who congratulated Lincoln for the Civil War and for defeating the South? Karl Marx in his telegram. For keeping the Union together. Centralization of government. Communist Manifesto. EU Parliament Communist Manifesto. The one, the one for the Americas, they wanted a parliament. They discussed the parliament, by the way, up until 2005 with the Three Amigos meetings. A centralized parliament for the Americas. They initially they said they might have it in Montreal. It was in the newspapers. Communist Manifesto. Centralized government. Centralized power. Centralized. Just a coincidence. Anyway, back to the back to all these articles here, and um, so yes, sixty percent of the people, sixty-one percent of the population, not not sixty, but sixty-one percent of the population are now worse off after being uh, shifting a higher. Well, they stop you from working and so on, eh? This is worse than any world war. You understand? It's planned that way. What a great trick, though. What a tr- well, no, it's, you must say it's a brilliant trick. I said this years. I wasn't afraid of the atomic bomb at all. I was more afraid of some real rogue letting loose with something that had been decided in a, in a laboratory. Well, what a great trick! But even even Schwab's boasting about a wonderful thing. This bug has been to lock people down for this agenda. Oh. this article also goes on about the pubs. It said it could kill off four out of five boozers and rip the heart out of local communities. Well, that's what they want to do, folks. Total war, you see. And, uh, but yes, yeah, Boris Johnson is not your, not for you. No, it never was. He was always a left winger, by the way, Boris Johnson. So, so they remake him as a, the new type of conservative. <laughs> Who's kidding? Who? Ex-mayor of the city of London. Hmm. Sorry, this, this, you, you, you can't, eventually, the people are going to have to, they, they, either, they either stand up or they don't. It's very simple, isn't it? I see the power is all in the, in the people, but they'll be so divided, and they've got all these psyops working against them to divide and conquer them. I doubt if they get enough people together to stand up. They might, they, I mean, they could with some miracle, but it would take an, a, literally a, a miracle to make it happen, I think. Because getting government would have to back off and try something else. Maybe even something more lethal, we might say. You never know. This is a big agenda that they've been planning for a long, long time, long before you heard the term COVID and how to get it through. Huh? Oh, climate change, no, try this COVID thing. Eh? This other one too. Moderna vaccine may not stop people spreading COVID. <laughs> I love how they say it now. It's just like Bertrand Russell said, we'll train the people to just parrot experts and, until they can't think for themselves or decide anything for themselves without the help of an expert. You don't even need names now, eh? Generally. So scientists have warned, eh? And the promising trial results have shown the US developed vaccine is 945 effective, right? As stopping people from getting ill. Trials haven't yet tested where the jab actually prevents transmission. 
So I won't even bother reading it all because it's contradictory in, in itself. And there's quite a few articles like that that's, that's full of contradictions. And so anyway, he says, that this, this spokesperson says, he urged people not to overinterpret the promise of the vaccine. In other words, don't have any faith in it. Though he says he believes it should prevent viral spread, that's science at work. It's, it's a belief system. See, not, never mind the facts, but this person believes it should prevent viral spread. Moderna's jab does not kill the virus, and this is the important part. Unlike most vaccines, you know how they get the take a week and form the virus and and um, and they put it into you, and, and and the idea is to trick the body into attacking it as a live virus and creating antibodies so you get immunity. This is different. Moderna's one it says here It's designed to, to, with intent of preventing the virus from latching onto receptors on human cells that let the virus enter the cells, okay? Unlike more complex human cells, viruses can't make their own energy. Instead, they have to hijack the machinery of the human or animal cells, absorbing that energy and allowing the virus to make copies of itself. See? So that's the Moderna one. And it says uh, how the different COVID vaccine candidates work. And they give you... uh, some more information. And without getting into our cells and taking them over for its own purposes, the virus can't replicate. This is the idea behind this Moderna one. It changes you, it reprograms your DNA, basically. Permanently, they think. Hmm? This is how it works. This is a trial. This is a very experimental vaccine. And the lower viral load usually means that the virus is less likely to be potent enough to infect someone else. But Moderna hasn't proven that, and Pfizer has, hasn't in its trials either. But although its trials are still ongoing, early data by AstraZeneca suggests this vaccine it developed with Oxford University, University should prevent viral spread. So it's amazing, the two don't know, and this other one, right, Suggests this vaccine developed with Oxford University should should prevent viral spread, even though it's early data, and it, and and its trials are still ongoing, so it hasn't finished yet. So why would even saying that it should prevent viral spread? And it says Pfizer and Moderna only tested trial members who developed possible symptoms of COVID nineteen, according to Science Magazine. And so it says that. Um, Without knowing of others, members of the, of the trials might have been asymptomatic spreaders. There's no way to say for sure whether the vaccine prevented them from infecting others. When we start the deployment of this vaccine, we will not have sufficient concrete data to prove that this vaccine reduces transmission, Mr. Zachs added. I'll say this before I go on to the next line. When we start the deployment of this vaccine, we will not have sufficient concrete data to prove that this vaccine reduces transmission, Mr. Zachs added. Do I believe it prevents transmission? Absolutely yes, but I saw this because of the science. He saw it because of the science. Well, it's either scientific or it's not. It's not a belief system. So this is, um, <laughs> do I believe that it prevents transmission? Absolutely yes. Science is not supposed to be based on belief, but on fact. And experimentation and the evidence. 
<sighs> but if you repeat this stuff, you'll, oh, you'll be hammered for saying it. They can say it, but you can't say it. This is the new normal, you see. Certain folk can say certain things, and you can't say it, even though you're reading their stuff, saying it. <laughs> and it says here, but absent proof, I think, is, it's important. But absent proof, I think, it's important. We don't change behaviors. Odd sentence. I guess he must be a full stop or a period missing somewhere. But absent proof or a, or a, a comma or something. I think it's important we don't change behavior solely on the basis of vaccination. He said people should continue to use preventive methods like mask wearing. So regardless of your vaccine, that's what you said months ago, even with uh, vaccinations, you're going to have to wear masks. It's planned this way, you see. This is permanent, folks. And social distancing. It's, it's total behavior change for the whole society across the planet. And Moderna will continue to collect data if and when its vaccine is approved. Oxford University and AstraZeneca got all trial participants to swab themselves at home, allowing it to test whether the vaccine was preventing people from transmitting the virus or just stopping them from becoming unwell. It's all up in the air as far as I can see, but uh, don't let that stop a good agenda. I mean, they banked everything on this agenda, folks. It's not good that I'm going to back off for, for anything at all. Nothing. No. Zilch. This is an interesting article by uh, Jeremy uh, Lefredo, Lefredo, I think his name is Lefredo, and Whitney Webb. And it says, Johns Hopkins CDC plan to mask medical experimentation on minorities as racial justice. That's an interesting article, actually. With the first COVID-19 vaccine candidate set to receive an emergency use of authorization from the U.S. government in a matter of days, its distribution and allocation is set to begin within 24 hours of that vaccine's imminent approval. And this is all with links to the articles like, like within 24 hours where that came from, NBC News, etc., says the allocation strategy of COVID-19 vaccines within the U.S. is set to dramatically differ from previous national vaccination programs. One key difference is that the vaccine effort itself, known as Operation Warp Speed, is being almost completely managed by the U.S. military. I feel bitter now, don't you? Eh? Along with the Department of Homeland Security, I makes you even feel better, and again, and the National Security Agency, the NSA. Wow. As opposed to civilian health agencies, which are significantly less involved in previous national vaccination efforts and have even been barred from attending some warp speed meetings. Doesn't that make you feel better now, feeling secure and, and uh, safe? Eh? In addition, for the first time since 2001, law enforcement officers and Department of Homeland Security officials are set to not be prioritized for early vaccination. Huh? To not, so they're not going to get it, right? Why would they not give it to the Department of Homeland Security officials and law enforcement officers? Another key difference is the plan to utilize a phased approach that targets populations of focus identified in advance by different government organizations, including the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, that's 
ACIP. Characteristics of those populations of focus, also referred to as critical populations in official documentation, will then be identified by the secretive Palantir-developed software tool known as Tiberius to guide Operation Warp Speed's vaccine distribution efforts. Tiberius will provide uh, Palantir access to sensitive health and demographic data of Americans, which the company will use to help to identify high-priority populations at highest risk of infection. The report is the first of a three-part series of un- unmasking the racist component of the Pentagon-run project to both develop and distribute a COVID-19 vaccine. It explores the COVID-19 vaccine allocation strategy first outlined by the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security and subsequent government allocation strategies that were informed by Johns Hopkins. The main focus of the allocation strategy is to deliver vaccines first to racial minorities, but in such a way as to make those minorities feel at ease and not like guinea pigs when receiving an experimental vaccine that those documents admit is likely likely cause certain adverse reactions. More frequently in certain population subgroups, research has shown that those subgroups most at risk for adverse reactions are these same minorities. Hmm. The documents also acknowledge that information warfare and economic coercion will likely be necessary to combat vaccine hesitancy. So they're using your psyops and your cyber warriors uh, and they have they have really thousands of cyber war, warriors working to attack people online and so on, and they disrupt your your flow of information and was to treat you as an enemy of the state, to treat you as if there were any enemy that the color revolutions have attacked across the world. They go after the citizen right here, and they must give you a bad name like vaccine. Hesitancy. It's not. A, a, it's not a right to decide for yourself. You're supposed to get and give informed consent. You're supposed to be informed before you give your consent. Now, now they're trying to do away with that. It's got vaccine. Why are you hesitating? Well, I'm thinking about you know the information. Informed, you know, information. Among these minority groups, and it even frames this clearly disproportionate focus on racial minorities as related to national concerns over police brutality, claiming that giving minorities the experimental vaccine first is necessary to combat structural racism and ensure fairness and justice in the healthcare system and society at large. Part two of the series will discuss how Palantir, a company currently helping the Department of Homeland Security and Law Enforcement violently target African American and Latinos, will be in charge of allocating tailored COVID-19 vaccines to those same minorities, as well as Palantir's origins and its executives' views on race. Part three will explore the direct ties between COVID-19 vaccine frontrunner and the Eugenic Society, which was renamed the Galton Institute in 1989. By the way, you can go in yourself and see all the, the, the articles. They still have lots of them there for the public, although they have their inner sanctum and you have to be a member, uh, a vetted member to get into the, to, <laughs> to see the real important stuff. But there's enough interesting information there in the Galton Institute 
to see what they're up to. You see a lot of uh, important, uh, well-known names of important people who are members of it. So I'll put this article up too. It goes on and on and on. It's quite good. It goes into the uh, the different people involved in this one and and um, different characters like Tom Inglesby, who also was he led discussions at the CHS's Event Two Hundred One Exercise, October two thousand nineteen. And so on and so on. It's a small world when you see the same names popping up over and over again, eh? And uh, Biden's transmission team, uh, Luciana Borio, current member of the CHS Steering Committee, as both a former FDA scientist and former National Security Council member, Borio uh, signifies a relationship between the National Security Aid State and the biosecurity state. She's currently a vice president of the uh, NQTEL, the venture capital arm of the CIA. Oh, it's just a small world indeed, isn't it? And NQTEL's current executive vice president, Tara O'Toole, who at the onset of the COVID-19 outbreak declared that the best way to ever to protect those who are well is with vaccines. As Ingleby's mentor and predecessor as director of the CHS, also a key player in the lead author, and the lead author of the CHS's Dark Winter and Cladex Bioterror Simulations. Cladex is another one, C-L-A-D-E-X. The links are all here for these, by the way, you know, the official links as well. But it's an interesting article when you read down through it and so on. Quite a long one, too. Because into previous studies they've done already with different ethnic groups, this is not about African-Americans are understood to be at higher risk for adverse reactions to vaccines. According to a study by the University of Pennsylvania, and the link to the study of the university is up here too, as is African-Americans exhibit a disproportionately higher immune response to certain flu shots. And in 2014, the Mayo Clinic, the link is here too, found for, for all these different, uh, these things are all founded on studies and so on, this article, found that African-Americans have almost double the immune response to the rubella vaccine, as a Caucasian Americans do, eh? Hmm. Immune reactions that are too strong can result in more adverse events and inflammatory responses such as transverse myelitis, debilitating inflammation and paralysis of the spinal cord, 2010 study in the Journal of Toxicology and Environmental Health showed that African-American boys were at significantly at greater risk of suffering severe neurological injury from the hepatitis B shot as compared to Caucasians. But this is, a, again, you have a, with certain vaccines. I've, I've gone over these before. They can give you, um, again, a disproportionately higher immune response. If you get a bunch of vaccines at the same time, that can cause it too. I had that. That's what brought on my arthritis eventually. And my spine was on fire, believe you me. A whole bunch of vaccines given in, in the span of about a week, I think it was. Uh, and yeah, I had a lot of that happened to me too, so I'm very, very, very wary of these things, absolutely. Uh, certain folk will get, of course, with the people who are affects like that, they'll say, well, you had the wrong genes for our vaccine. <laughs> well, my genes were perfectly fine for everything else until you invented your vaccine. But uh, facts don't matter. China wants passenger tracking system for global travel coronavirus reset. Uh, 
Same thing as the planes and so on. He wants a, a global QR code system to help determine their health status and travel permissions in a post-coronavirus pandemic travel reset. And there you go. It's a reset. Everything's a reset, isn't it? Eh? Global mechanisms for all. Mm. And it says during the G20 summit on Saturday, Z called for coronavirus global mechanism, which involves international recognition of health certificates in the form of the QR codes to allow people to travel freely. Well, you could travel freely if you were free, folks. Having all these codes and, and permissions is not free. That's the difference between rights, you see, and freedom. You, 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 have, you have natural rights. You don't need permission to have them. It says the dictator says the system can be based on nucleic acid testing results in the form of internationally accepted QR codes. And that's from new state agency, Jin Yu, whatever they call it, that is uh, X-I-N-H-U-A. And we need to further harmonize policies and standards and establish fast tracks to facilitate the orderly flow of people, he's quoted as saying. And the QR codes are barcodes that can be read by mobile phones there are common tools of tracking and control in communist China. Coming to a place near you. But I'll put these links up there too for those who want to to follow it. But nothing really is surprising. Eh? Also, the COVID-19 RT-PCR test. And this article says how to mislead all humanity using a test to lock down society. And um, I've already read articles before on this particular test and why it's, it's not the most reliable test. And this goes into it again as well. About the amplification, they, they cycle it, they call it, call it cycles. They take particles of, of a virus or what they think might be a virus and they amplify it and multiply it many times over in cycles, they call it. And they get a certain level, a certain amount of cycles. They, they say, well, there's a possibility there's a virus there. Can't tell if it's alive or dead or anything else, but, or, or you've had it, for that matter. Or they can't even tell if you've been in the vicinity of someone that had dead particles that breathed out and you breathed them in. Yeah. Uh, but forget the facts. I mean, I've been over this one ad nauseum, really. But this one again goes through it all. They tell you the number of times they copy it. What they've even said, the makers even say, that over 30 is very unreliable. Well, they're, they're using up to 40-odd, up to maybe 45 cycles to try to get positives. Well, it's going to give you more and more false positives. And they actually say that in the different instructions on that for the laboratories. It doesn't matter. That's why they picked it. Wherever you go in the world before coronavirus, you're going to find all kinds of, of possible uh, bits and pieces of viruses, of coronaviruses. But it didn't have a political uh, purpose at that time. You know. It says the RT-PCR test doesn't reveal any virus, but only parts, specific gene sequences of the virus, you see. And they go on on if I was done, and it's quite a good article, of course, for those that want to at least get some understanding of how it's done and how they come to these conclusions that they do. Yeah. Maybe find out why they come to these conclusions, it'd be a different thing altogether. GCHQ and cyber war on anti-vaccine propaganda. So people who don't want the vaccine, it's not called 
just anti-vaccine. Now it's anti-vaccine propaganda now, you see. I've already read some of the articles from reputable papers where the, 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 the people who, the CEOs of the company say, well, we believe it does this, we believe it does that, and we're not sure about this and that because we haven't finished yet, but we believe. But that's okay for them to say that. But if you, if you go over these articles when you're doing anti-vaccine propaganda, but just reading it, obviously, hmm. So the GCHQ in Britain says the spy agencies are using tools developed to disrupt terrorist groups to tackle disinformation online and on social media. Now you can tell right off the bat that it's the same usual agenda, the same groups running the intelligence agencies. It says the spy agency is using the tools developed to disrupt terrorist groups to tackle disinformation online and on social media. And uh, spies tackle dis- disinformation linked to Russia. Russia, Russia, my goodness, eh? <laughs> GCHQ has begun an offensive cyber operation to disrupt anti-vaccine propaganda being spread by hostile states. The Times understands, says the Times and newspaper. I've read, I read similar articles as before. So it's using a toolkit developed to tackle disinformation and recruitment material peddled by Islamic State, according to sources. It's the latest move by cyber agents to counter activities linked to Moscow, whose aim is to exploit the pandemic in order to undermine the West and boost Russian interests. And the government regards tackling false information about inoculation as a rising priority as the prospect of a reliable vaccine against the coronavirus draws closer. A government source at GCHQ has been told to take out, to take out, I think I read the same one, anti-vaxxers online and on social media. They have ways they have used to monitor and disrupt terrorist propaganda, like slowing your computer down, <laughs> and worse things than that, of course, to do it. And uh, then they go into the different tactics, if you want to get the, for the whole article. But uh, it's cyber warfare, and I've already mentioned it that your own governments uh, have had it in the newspapers. They're using their spy agencies and their cyber warfare agencies and other ones, two these foreign governments, cyber warfare agencies, uh, to attack their own, your citizenry. So that's what it is. You know. That's where your tax money goes. You know, so much for, you, for your opinions. You can't have your opinions anymore. And you have no rights over yourself at all, your body, for goodness sake. The state owns your body and soul. They, they can do with, with it as they want, obviously. You're not really using it, are you? I mean, you're using your body much. I mean, it's, you know, for any good purpose. Canada now is blocking bulk exports of drugs to the U.S., it says here. Um, this is the cheaper, probably, Apple-type drugs. They call it Apple drugs. Um, generic, non, non-corporate uh, name-type drugs to the states, and no doubt they've got a good reason for doing it. <laughs> like they don't want the public to to get some cheaper drugs. It's, it's probably, in fact, that someone's someone's got the nudge from the states not to do it because the the, the states has g- jealously guards its pharmaceutical industry and what they want to generally get. You know, like high prices for stuff for their own drugs. U.S.-U.K. intelligence agencies declare cyber war on independent media. 
British and American state intelligence agents are weaponizing truth to quash vaccine hesitancy. I've said many this before, as both nations prepare for mass inoculations. In a recently announced cyber war to be commanded by artificial intelligence powered arbiters of truth against information sources that challenge official narratives. Now, there's a free society for you, eh? So they set out, they declare a war on the public. And anyone that challenges official narratives, there's a free society. This is the kind of stuff you'd always point to other countries. Oh, see, the look they're doing over there in these, these, these tyrannical country. Here it is here, folks. It's the same thing. This is in just the past week, the national security states of the United States and UK have discreetly let be known that the cyber tools and online tactics previously designed for use in the post-9-11 war on terror are now being repurposed for use against information sources promoting vaccine hesitancy. And he goes into it too, warp speed and all the rest of it. And the UK intelligence's new cyber war targeting anti-vaccine propaganda. And again, it mentions the Times reports and so on, the newspaper, that, that links are all here for it. Contained in this article, and it, and again it mentions again the British military's seventy seven brigade, which specialises in information warfare. Yeah, generally in other countries, folks, and have been used it on their own public. Wasn't that freedom of speech? That old farce of a a line they used to give you in Britain: "We're a free country. We we give democracy to the world." There you go. So they're not only going to take down anti-vaccine propaganda, but will also seek to disrupt the operations of the cyber actors responsible for it, they call it cyber actors, including encrypting their data so they cannot access it and blocking their communications with each other. Do you understand? This is the stuff all the, that, that we've been warned about hackers. This is your own government's doing it, folks, because they've been doing it across the world. Where do you think all these folk who learned across the world got it from? From your government agencies. They're now using it on you. Mm-hmm. And they're using the Five Eyes Alliance, you see, they're using US, Australia, New Zealand, Canada. And there's other ones apart from that too, mind you. To take you all down, right? So you're not allowed your opinion anymore. They've set a warfare departments against you. They've declared war on you. It says, oh, the, the Times said, it's, well, uh, it's, it's troubling, you see. It says, this is highly troubling given that the U.S. recently seized the domains of many sites, including the American Herald Tribune, which it erroneously labeled as Iranian propaganda. <laughs> Despite its editor-in-chief, Anthony Hall, being based in Canada, and the U.S. government made this claim about the American Herald Tribune after the cybersecurity firm FireEye, a U.S. government contractor, stated that it had moderate confidence that the site had been founded in Iran. Moderate confidence. In addition, the fact that the GCHQ has alleged that most of the sites it plans to target are linked to Moscow. Come on. Gives further causes for concern that the U.K., Government was caught funding the Institute for Statecraft's Integrity Initiative, which falsely labelled critics of the UK government's actions, as well as its narratives with respect to the Syria conflict, as being related to Russian disinformation campaigns. <laughs> no, it's, they're at war with you people. Yeah. And uh, it's got all the links on it too to what they're talking about here in the article again. 
which is the way it should be, and so it's not just made up nonsense. It's got a lot of good information on it. But yeah, this is uh, this is the end of any any free society, any any modicum of a free society. This is, this is the end of it. We never really had free societies. Not completely free. I mean, true free society would be anarchy, and that's a fact of it too. Because true anarchy would have no no authority at all. You see, and you couldn't get any further right wing than that. The abolition of it, and the, the, some of the old anarchists used to originally used to preach that too. That just that's that what even the saying came from too. Don't tread on me with the snake and so on. That symbology. Was I? I won't bother you if you won't bother me. You know, and that was the idea of of real independent anarchy, not these these managed anarchists that are part of a again a, a government funded psyop, you know, irregular warfare, anti lockdown protests all across Europe, increasingly draconian lockdown measures, economic destitution, and sweeping police powers are evaporating public trust and eroding public patience, it says. And sure enough, I mean, last week had lots of of demonstrations going on across the European countries, very quiet in Canada and the States, I think, in a way. Unless I've missed something, maybe, which is possible. I don't watch TV, so I don't really know. There's some smaller protests in Canada. Doug Ford in Ontario, he slams the anti-lockdown protesters outside his home as buffoons. That's very descriptive. They're buffoons. And he doesn't go into the to the point of their anger, naturally, just to call some nasty names like buffoons. And he says that COVID-19 vaccine will bring life back to normal. Not, now, the people who've... I just read the articles. You just have to wear a mask and have six feet apart and all the rest of it. So he's, he's, he's not telling, he's speaking on untruth, I would say, and their terminology. Yeah? I don't, they don't say lies, they say untruths. Doug Ford warns of possible lockdown, new restrictions as Ontario's COVID-19 cases rise, because they're testing more people, you see. Yeah. But they're buffoons. Yeah, there you go. And New York Times talks about Iran's top nuclear scientist killed in ambush, the state media say. So it's, yeah, it's on the go there. A brazen killing, eh? Says the scientist Mohsen Fakharizadeh, believes to be 59, has been considered a driving force behind Iran's nuclear weapons program for two decades. And it says... Uh, Part of the effort was quietly disbanded after the year 2000s, according to American intelligence assessments and Iranian nuclear disarmaments, a document stolen by Israel, it says. One American official, along with two other intelligence officials, said that Israel was buying the attack on the scientists. Remember a few years ago they were doing that too, with the sticky bombs, they call them, something that was invented in World War II, and against for tanks. And you, you, you basically pulled a wrapper off the thing, and uh, it, was, it was like a, it looked like um, a ball with a stick in it, really, but the sticky goo on the outside, and you, you just whack it against the side of a tank, for instance, after you pulled the pin, and, and ran, and uh, it would blow up, you see, it would stick to the tank. But a few years ago, they were doing that with cars, 
and it was, it was thought to be, um, well, it was agencies, again, from outside, and Israel and so on, would, would go in Tehran and blow up uh, different scientists who were in some of the cars, and uh, these guys with the sticky bombs would be driving motorbikes, and whack, just stick it to it, pump, and then boom, up it went. So it's ongoing, of course, ongoing and ongoing. But uh, so that's when they weren't killed. I really, I really smell the, the stepping up of the same wars again, too. Well, all the rhetoric about, back about Russia and, and about all closing up again to China. Because after all, China is the model state for the world, right? And it's got big, big money and it can help any, any friends financially, you know. And there you go. You really smell it coming, don't you? The whole agenda. And building back better an action plan for the media, entertainment, and culture industry from the World Economic Forum. Their white paper, that was July, of course, but building back better. BBB. Yep. A stronger ecosystem and, and so on. Yeah. All planned out for you. You didn't have to do any work at all. They've done it all for you. Your whole future is planned there, yeah. Practical actions for advertisers, publishers, agencies, and platforms to improve the media ecosystem. It's an ecosystem, you know. In this phrase of building back better post-COVID-19. Ah, better, better. New is good, you know. New is good. Buy new. And also, I will just touch on the next article very shortly. But first I want to say again, cutting through the matrix.com. Help me take along here as we go through all the chaos that we're going through and the chaos to come. Because there's a lot more they've got planned for you, believe it or not. Really, they're not kidding you. If you think that the present tier restrictions are insane, uh, you understand. I mentioned before how, how they did it with uh, repatterning. They called it where they, where they, for MK Ultra and Cameron. The guy was appointed to oversee it. He also belonged to the CIA. The CIA has people in all countries, you know. And they, they, they put them on the page, a check, and that's it. And Cameron, of course, got the... And you couldn't get away with what you did without permission from the Korean government, too. They, they used a lot of the psychiatric hospitals across Britain and elsewhere for all these experiments, you know, big experiments. So so what he would do uh, was bring in patients, of course, and, oh, you're depressed, oh, don't worry about it, we'll give you maybe 100, 200 ECT shocks and... Electroconvulsive convulsive therapy, LSD galore, and give you mass um, day and night uh, uh, music or instructions, vocal on tape, that you couldn't switch off. You couldn't move your hands up to pull a thing off your head or anything like that. And, uh, and we'll, we'll eradicate all your previous memory and reprogram you, repatterning, they called it. And you psychic driving, the, the repetition of the same things over and over. Same kind of thing you got with 9-11, with the same planes on their tower, planes on their tower, planes on their tower, over and over and again for weeks and weeks and weeks. Psychic driving, that's what you do. And the same narratives, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden, yeah, yeah. Same thing, weapons of mass destruction, weapons of mass, same kind of stuff you see. And that's because psychic driving. Now it's COVID-19, COVID-19, COVID-19. And, uh, and 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 lockdown, lockdown, lockdown. Obey, obey, obey is a big one, of course, for repatterning. 
And then you get doing dumb things and how many folk you can have on a Saturday compared to a Thursday or a Friday or a Monday in your home. And yada, 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 yeah. And that's I'm just starting. Because you see, once you go off the rails of sanity and your Pavlovian trick, you know, of, of obeying and then getting shocked again, and before you have a total breakdown, they have to, it gets easier to get you to do stupid things and crazy things. Easier and easier. Because you're getting off of common sense. Common sense is a very important thing that you take for granted. Have you seen what they do in the stores with the perspex? What do you think? I mean, the, the air goes round the side of the perspex, goes over the top of it, the little bit hole in the bottom for the hands go through for, for, for cash or credit card. It goes through. Um, it, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a physical symbol of something else. And the person behind it is wearing a mask. You were you wearing a mask. And you've got a half-inch thick perspex thing between you. And, and you're saying, and they look puzzled, and, you, and, you, and then you're getting frustrated, flustered. And then, of course, they pull their mask down and say something. Oh, yeah, okay. Or they, or they go to the side, round the side of the perspex, it's about six inches further. And, and then they speak to you normally. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's all intended to create maximum frustration. That's its purpose. And, you, and as you get frustrated and angry, it's training you to quench your anger and deal with it and contain it. No anger is a kind of natural response to absurd situations. Anger is a self-preservation mechanism. In the right circumstances, you're being trained to suppress it. So they increase it, and they train you to suppress it. Do you understand what's happening? Repatterning of behavior. That's all happening. Pavlov's dog. You know. Shock, shock, until you get a breakdown. Shock, shock, shock. You know. Be good, be a good little dog. Stand over there and get your dinner. And you do it and do it, and then suddenly you get shocked one day, and you, and you have a breakdown. You're doing the right thing. Isn't that what I was supposed to do? Was it, Master? Yeah. This is massive, massive psychological warfare. As I've said it before, you've got all kinds of behaviorists and experts. It's interesting how someone who was pushing nothing but voting for the last few years as a front was back on track after after it's all over with Trump. And, and, and just repeat my stuff verbatim <laughs> to try to get some credence back. I get a chuckle at that one too. Yeah, you get all kinds of experts and psychologists, behaviorists, and neurists all, all on board working against us all to again break down. What I think rebuilding is rebuilding is destroying existing, that's your sanity. It isn't just rebuilding society by itself. You destroy it first, then you rebuild it. You get in the picture. It's awfully important, that rebuilding. Then you you break down in the patterning behavior. You break down, eradicate, you wipe the mind and memories. And then you you reprogram it with new memories, new, new normals, new everything. It's new ways of behavior. 
that's that's rebuilding back better, you see. Building it back better, repatterning, training you to be a different kind of human, more compliant, obedient, absolutely, by suppressing your frustrations and which lead to anger, and suppressing your righteous anger. That's how you do it, folks. Now that we're talking about cyber war and the psyops as well, all combined. Your, your tax money and the five eyes attacking all the people who really are noticing inconsistencies in the mainstream propaganda. <laughs> of course, that's a black mark we're calling them, you know, their articles propaganda. As they call you a propagandist for noticing their articles. And as you count through, this is warfare, you see. The dark arts, as they call it, eh? and it says that um, this article here is from long article, by the way, it's a two hundred forty odd page article from the Department of Defense, and it does just touch on it uh, at the beginning of this chapter, chapter one, a little bit about uh, the backgrounds of the methods that be used. The U.S. is not unpracticed in using many of these methods. It's accustomed to wielding, this is unconventional warfare, to wielding all instruments of national power, right? As the dawn of the 21st century, the United States is, is, still enjoys the largest economy in the world. That was then, eh? a few years ago. And continues to wield a, a enormous economical and financial influence. So then it goes into, the reach for all these instruments is paralleled by intelligence and law enforcement instruments that provide constant feedback of information and respect for international codes of behavior. Filling a peaceful resolution of international competition, the U.S. has attested military capability to use unconventional warfare. Although such special operations and are inherently joint missions of the USOCOM, that's U-S-S-O-C-O-M, the capability has traditionally and primarily resided in ARSOF, A-R-S-O-F, the spiritual forebears of American unconventional warfare can be traced to colonial periods, and ARSOF has a direct military lineage of conducting unconventional warfare. The U.S. has conducted unconventional warfare in support of resistance movements, insurgencies. Now, this is important. Because you, if you study into it, you'll find really the whole idea of the riots and demonstrations were part of insurgencies, standard killer revolutions. And ongoing or pending conventional military operations, it has operated by, with, or through irregular forces against a variety of states and non-state opponents. Such sensitive operations are a high value component and a specific application of the military instrument of national power. Arsoff Unconventional warfare, properly employed within the context of all such power, effectively integrated, is more relevant than ever in the 21st century international environment. And then they go into a bit of history of unconventional warfare, how it uh, was originated in the creation of the OSS, as the precursor of the CIA, during World War II, and is generally defined in terms of guerrilla and covert operations in enemy-held or influenced territory. 
It says in 1951, the Army's unconventional warfare assets were consolidated under the Office of Psychological Warfare, and the Army published the first two field manuals for the conduct of special operations with an emphasis on unconventional warfare. By 1955, the first historical manual that specifically linked Army Special Forces to unconventional warfare that's FM3120, Special Forces Group, declared unconventional warfare consists of three interlaid fields of guerrilla warfare, escape innovation, and subversion against hostile states. In the subsequent Cold War decades, definition expanded and contracted, and contracted uh, verbiage changed, and missions conceived as part of this unconventional enterprise were added or subtracted, the common conceptual core has nevertheless remained as working by, with, or through irregular surrogates. And this is important, right? Working with, by, or through irregular surrogates in a clandestine and or covert manner against opposing actors. Do you realize they go into other countries, they have middle classes and working classes and so on? And they'll find other forces or regular forces or create them, right? Or create alliances with them, surrogates in a clandestine and or covert manner against opposing actors. They use them against the populations. That's what you saw in, with all these demonstrations and, this, and during a whole COVID pandemic, wasn't it? And the lockdown. Then they decide to go after police shooting and killing black people. Why then? And why these Antifa ones suddenly there uh, leading the groups of the Black Lives Matter? It's mainly white Antifa. This is all, this is, this is, this is warfare. This is, this is psyops and it's, it's also subversive techniques that they've used in color revolutions across the world. I've seen it for years. So you understand the terminology here. The opposing actors are the American, basically the, the population in the U.S. That's what they're using it on. And going to restaurants and yelling at people and going down neighborhoods and screaming at folk and threatening to burn them down and so on. So the current definition, at the present is the current definition of unconventional warfare is as follows. Operations conducted by, with, or through irregular forces in support of a resistance movement or insurgency or conventional military operations. And that's from uh, Unconventional Warfare, September 20, 28th of September 2007. This definition reflects two essential criteria. You, unconventional warfare must be conducted by, with, or through surrogates. And such surrogates must be irregular forces. What's the kept telling you about Antifa? It's not a real organized group. It's just, you know, different people. Who this is what they kept telling you. That. You could see their leaders <laughs> who were well-funded. But we know that from CIA, etc. There's certain characters in it. Moreover, this definition is consistent with the historical reasons that the U.S. has conducted. Unconventional warfare has been conducted in support of both an insurgency, such as the contrast in 1980, Nicaragua and resistance movements to defeat an occupying power, such as the Mujahideen in the 1980s, 
Afghanistan war. Unconventional warfare has also been conducted in support of pending or, in, uh, or ongoing conventional military operations. For example, OSS Jedburgh activities in France, OSS Detachment 101 activities in the Pacific in World War II, more recently Special Force Operations and Operation Enduring Freedom, Afghanistan Enduring Freedom, remember? <laughs> as we were bombing Afghanistan 2001. And Operation Iraqi Freedom, that was a good one too. Yeah, Iraqi Freedom, as they put into the Stone Age in 2003. Finally, and in keeping with the clandestine and or covert nature of historical and conventional warfare operations as involved the conduct of classified surrogate operations. Details of classified operations are an FM 30420 or 2, Special Forces Operations, and FM 3-05.201. The definition establishes a litmus test for clearly differentiating unconventional warfare from other activities and clearly establishes the purposes or purpose for conducting unconventional warfare, including the idea of by, with, or through surrogates, and eliminates any confusion with unilateral direct action, special reconnaissance, or counterterrorism. We've got all of it happening in North America. They all side with counterterrorism, didn't it? The war on terror. Identifying the historical, uh, historical demonstrated use of irregular forces as surrogates in the definition eliminates any confusion with foreign inter- internal defense or coalition activities using irregular forces. The clearly stated purpose of unconventional warfare to support insurgencies, resistance movements, and conventional military operations not only eliminates the possibility of incorrectly characterizing unconventional warfare as solely an IW activity, but also, but articulates Unconventional warfare's relevance to the army and joint forces by specifying support to other operations. Now, as to most folks, this is going to be awfully, awfully boring, so I won't do it all naturally because it's 240 pages or 248 pages. But just going to regular forces that gives you classifications and clarifications of the different kinds of forces that they use. Also, uh, asymmetric warfare, unrestricted warfare, fourth generation warfare. And, and so on. Uh, and uh, But it, it really goes into it deeper down in Chapter 4 and so on about different techniques of going into countries, finding discontented groups, arming them, training them, and backing them. And if, if they don't exist, you basically create them, you know. It doesn't matter. See, most followers don't have to really understand the big picture. They just get the basic propaganda and they join and they join on, you know. That's what you saw on the streets in the States there too. And they joined the dis- discontented youngsters because they see no future. But they didn't know the big they, they didn't know they were getting used. <laughs> and they'll never know that probably. And it gives the regular warfare joint operating concept of it two thousand seven and um, describe what traditional warfare is, right? It's rather obvious what it is and what its purpose is by the different groups that are involved. Irregular warfare goes into the, the risk of adding further confusion to what is unconventional in warfare. And then, then they differentiate uh, IW uh, from conventional warfare and unconventional and so on. So they give you state and non-state actors 
struggling for legitimacy and influence over the relevant populations. I'll say that again, just think back, back to, to, the, to the summer here of discontent, where during a pandemic, supposedly, as, as decided then, and even came out in the manual from uh, for Antifa, that they look for sparks, basically, for heightened emotion, and they jump on the bandwagon. So they used the Black Lives Matter group, and then jumped on the back of that, to get prominence, I mean, it went on the rampages, as you well know. I'll say this part again, right? This is JP1-02 defines IW as a violent struggle among state and non-state actors for legitimacy and influence over the relevant populations, who, whether you're champions or your persecutors during the lockdowns, the people in the streets who are burning their places down and so on. And many folk joined it thinking, they were, well, this is the thing you do, yeah. So, this is a favorite. In, uh, indirect and asymmetric approaches, though it may employ the full range of military and other cap- capacities in order to, to erode an adversary's power, influence, or will. It's inherently a protracted conflict that will test the resolve of the U.S. and its partners. Adversaries will pursue IW strategies, employing a hybrid of irregular, disruptive, traditional, and catastrophic capabilities to undermine and erode the influence and will of the U.S. and its strategic uh, partners. Meeting these challenges and combating this approach will require the concentrated efforts of all instruments of U.S. national power. Well, see, the U.S. has been using the the same technique across the world. In fact, they're, they're the ones who perfected it all, really, over many years. But you read about it, and you simply realize that you can use, this also is getting used inside America. Now it's being used all across the internet, naturally. Right down to, to doing what they say they do, which is stopping the communications of people who, who speak out against activities. They get banned. This is warfare. This is military psyops. And it's military Cyber warfare. And it's all in this massive thing here. And they've got the diagrams of how it works and how they're always fighting for the minds of the bulk of the population or even countries that they're taken over. You're seeing the same thing happen too. Look what happened in the States too during it all. There were people in white neighborhoods putting up Black Lives Matter signs in their windows thinking, hoping uh, that they'd be accepted as being on board with them and they wouldn't get their homes burned down. But in Black Lives Matter and so on. Battle for the minds of the people. And the folk that cave in and go along with it. Some say it all works. This is all well understood. Well understood. You know, I know it sounds adversaries and, and so on. And then the, the, and the regular warfare, major combat operations are different. That's street stuff. Unconventional warfare, instability, security, transition, and reconstruction. What are you going through right now with the Build Back Better? People are in shock from, from the COVID pandemic lockdowns, the total collapse, planned destruction of society's economic system for, for all small businesses, which were the majority of businesses by now, and lockdowns and so on. And they want to come out of it, but they're not, they're not to go back to, to, end, to what was. So you have stability, security, and transition, and reconstruction. What does it say at, at, 
the World Economic Forum Build Back Better. Stability, security, transition, and reconstruction. There you go. It's just starting to come together, folks. I could go on and on and on, actually, because it's a massive article. But um, Also, they have counterinsurgencies, interesting. Those political, economic, military, paramilitary, psychological, and civil actions taken by a government defeat an insurgency, you know. What do you do when your government is the insurgency? Or what you think is your government, right? Or those who control your government? What do you do then, eh? But this article goes on, and I think chapter 4, they go into more to do with uh, special forces. There's lots of of guys who are really on the payroll, but they're really classified as as, as private companies now and special forces that deal with all. That's what most of your cyber warfare is to do with that too. But so much of this is to do with uh, techniques, you see, and how they plan, they evaluate and feedback, they have collection of data, dissemination, integration, processing and exploitation, and analysis and production, and their mission. It's all done beforehand, you see. And it's so easy in real time now. And how to get in to any, anybody's um, uh, internet system, alter and then persuade them or alter their perceptions of things without them even knowing it's happening. Well, so what do you do when your own military system is turned against you? The people that pay their paychecks, the taxpayers. And they go into the financial instruments of national power, you know. Which could give you the prosperity and stability in the, in the States. But what they're really saying is, it's the same in other countries too. You go after the, the financial system. In other words, you can create financial collapses, naturally, sure. Alter their medium of exchange, lower the value of their currency. It's all part of warfare, for those who don't know it. All contained in here too. And how even your law enforcement now is a member of international, not just national power, but international power. As globalization increases world integration, the scope of threats to U.S. security and public safety becomes more global. The law enforcement instruments increasingly and necessarily work outside of U.S. borders to combat these threats. Interesting. And now your military is working inside your own country. As the cops working outside of it. But there's so much you could really take in here. They also have lots of uh, people on the payroll as assets. The CIA, most people are assets actually, as you probably know, or they work part time. <laughs> the contract for CIA and intelligence agencies. And uh, you activate them at the right times, but they have doctors and they have lawyers galore and all on board with us, folks. Scientists, people who have got a say in the public forum of science, all assets too. You're starting to get the picture of what runs you now. Your authorized statements, regardless of many other people who are not members of the club, but who have maybe even better qualifications and sciences that are mentioned, and they get poo-pooed and knocked down. Well, see, they're not, they're not members, of, they're not assets, they're not members or contract employees. As I'm reading this article, you realize that everything's a farce, isn't it? It's all noble languages used here and there, and noble terminologies, and 
to do with, uh, for example, it says, applicability of national policy to army special operations forces unconventional warfare. It says, and it gives you an example of the, the NSS states that the U.S. policy is to seek and support democratic movements and institutions in every nation and culture and identifies that this bold and noble policy is the work of generations. To seek and support democratic movements and institutions in every nation and culture and they're being turned upon the people who try to use their freedom of speech to silence their freedom of speech. It's, it's the BG song, words are all you have. Words eventually mean nothing. <laughs> words are all you have. Because because evil intentions runs the world, unfortunately, especially with law eh? and terminology. And they give you wonderful platitudes oh, and mottos. And, and it says here, the Special Forces motto, to free the oppressed. To free the oppressed. Have you looked round the world? If you looked at the, the devastation since 9-11 happened to countries across different parts of the world, to free the oppressed, the seeking out and supporting of democratic movements, even within non-democratic state regimes, imply the utility of our soft unconventional warfare in denied hostile and sensitive areas. The focused persistence required for a generational effort is consistent with the long-term shaping political work and partner organization building fundamental to understanding unconventional warfare. Mind, and they also use stacks and stacks of non-governmental organizations, by the way, across the world. This is a very, very interesting um, manual, basically. And ranges of military operations, and I think now, now here is some of the goals, the external factors. In chapter 4, it says, Planners must understand the U.S. military command, relationship, service, joint military, and interagency that may affect ourself. Elements and supported irregular forces. It says, Planners must understand the scope and limitations of each agency's influence and programs. Legal and political restrictions on RSOF activities. Well, they've, they've already been given a, a wide range in the Americas by our own governments. Eh? Sources and assistance available to RSOF to further assure mission accomplishment. Role of the U.S. media and the international press is essential for warfare purposes. I'll say that again. Role of the U.S. media and the international press. Eh? Intent and goals of the U.S. government, I guess, USG, and technical goals of non-governmental organizations, you know, humanitarian relief organizations under key civilian agencies in the UWOA, command relationships of international agencies and NGOs with representatives of the USG, intent and goals of international agencies such as the United Nations or North Atlantic Treaty Organizations, Inapplicable, are we, you and so on. But anyway, the main part is you, you would have the, the media on board with you, the international press as well, and recognize political implications. Facility interagency activities of those involved and engage the threat discriminatorily.
The third component of engaging threats discriminately deals with tactical consideration. RSOF must carefully target tactical operations in unconventional warfare to ensure success and avoid alienating the civilian population. This is all like psyops and and cyber warfare, and propaganda, etc. And uh, the long-term effects as well. It's a battle, like they said before, for the population and for their minds, which leads to at least a form of allegiance, at least compliance, you see. And so they, they'll, they'll use inside your own nation uh, the pros and cons. If there's, if there's division there, they'll pick the sides they want to win and, 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 and give them the, the, the more credence, apparent credence over the other ones even though it may not be legitimate to, to the, the credence part of it that is, or true, it's what appears to be true. It's all, it's all perception management, you see. Anticipate and control psychological effects. All operations and activities in a conventional warfare environment have significant psychological effects. Combat operations and civic action programs are two examples of the type of operations or activities with obvious psychological effects. They must try to ensure that all audiences understand operations, losing control of perceptions, see perception management, may result in a distortion of facts and might even diminish or destroy the, the, the gains or even superbly planned and executed missions. And what they're trying to do, too, in countries that they go into is find out leaders. They're, going, they're opposed to them, their forces coming in, right? And then you find ways to discredit that, that those leaders in the eyes of the public. Well, that's the same as the psyops they do inside your own nations. Uh, that's what they're doing now. That's what the governments have said in the mainstream articles, is that they're, they're, they've declared war upon their own peoples. This is a dangerous thing you have, folks. Dangerous, dangerous. And the youngsters often that they employ for that too, they've been brought up playing video games and all they know is that they want to win, they don't care who they're destroying, even their own people. They probably really don't feel any, any connection with you anyway, even though you're paying their salaries. <laughs> dangerous, dangerous policy altogether. But this, this article here shows the different resources they have and, and who they work with and um, how they create different uh, groups within countries and control psychological effects of populations, etc. Interesting. So you're under the, the war at the moment, using this, the, you know, the General Emergency Powers Acts and so on, which is War Powers Acts, or martial law as we, it's commonly called, and they're using the military against their own population. It's rather sad, isn't it, this company, this? But uh, it's an all-or-nothing agenda by those who decide that they have the right to rule the planet and never mind just own it, they, they want to also have the right to decide how it's going to be run minutely down to the individual level. And that's what it's all about, folks. So it's kind of sad that most folk don't know what's really happening. They, 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 they the mainstream media is on board with the military, obviously, as you see, you must always be. And they, they had that in Event 201, too, when they admitted they already had the, uh, all the, the social platforms and the media on board with them in the practice event, never mind the real thing. It's all prearranged, you see. 
And that's why top scientists in their fields, even with better qualifications than the characters that are giving you this authority, the authorized versions of, of the pandemic, uh, these other scientists with the better credentials and who are working with patients are completely dismissed out of hand. That's totalitarian, you see. That's military. That's what the military would do. You know? Because, you see, the Building Back Better project for the World Economic Forums, Mr. Klaus Schwab, has to be rammed through. All post-democratics have said long ago, because you don't vote for any of these guys, you don't vote for the UN, you don't vote for Schwab or the World Economic Forum, you certainly don't vote for the army, <laughs> whatever they get up to. They're given orders by those who rule you. I, I say rule rather than govern, because this is rulership. Govern, governing is a different thing uh, uh, legally than uh, rulership. Well, you're under rulership now, you see. That's what you're going through. Anyway, remember, folks, you can help me take along here, cutting through com. And we're living through sad days indeed, where, where your own tax money is paying, not just to invade other countries for warfare purposes or material resources or whatever, but also being used against your own populations. Dangerous times. And yet you'll probably all go out and vote again, eh? For a system that doesn't represent you, obviously. Rather sad, that. So help me take a long cutting through com. Send a few bucks my way, hopefully. And uh, I'll, I'll try and, and keep the, the, the gears moving in my end of it. And stay in, stay the course, because it's not over yet until the grossly obese, morbid obesity person sings, as they say. This is a, I'm very PC tonight. That's just the way it is. So for myself, I'm from Ontario, Canada. It's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.